Give me a few minutes. Uh, Tracy's going to be in here. Tracy Bean's going to be in here in a little bit. In a few. We're going to... Uh, yesterday, Jim Jordan put out a thread. It's down in the chat. I connected it to Tracy's original reporting on Missouri v. Biden. This is the fourth space that I've done on the Missouri v. Biden case, which I believe is probably one of the most important cases we have. And definitely one of the most important cases that I've seen in my lifetime. So... Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna kind of re-go through what what the Missouri v. Biden case is, just in case anybody listening does not know. And then I'm going to go over Jim Jordan's thread yesterday and what that actually means for the Missouri v. Biden case going forward. So just give us a few minutes, getting set up. Uh, Tracy will be in here. If you guys want to retweet the space, follow along down in the chat. Like I said, I've got both the entire thread on Missouri v. Biden case that Tracy's been covering since last year that I've been covering for about six months or so. And that, uh, and then the recent update from uh, Jim Jordan on his Facebook files, part one. So a lot of these documents pretty much make it impossible for the government to weasel out of this Missouri v. Biden case. So that's why I believe it's the end game. So we'll get started here in a few. Bear with me while everybody makes their way in. Where's Tracy? Come on, Tracy. Like I said, we're going to be going through this in a minute. Those of you just joining, just bear with me. It's, uh, like I said, down in the chat. I've uh, got both the mega thread of Missouri v. Biden, all the court docs, and then Jim Jordan's thread that he put together yesterday uh, with additional evidence that will be probably entered into um, evidence on the Missouri v. Biden case. And It'll pretty much end that case where it sits. So uh, in a good way, in a good way. So we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Got some exciting updates. We'll probably be revisiting this again next week. Um, hopefully getting a couple guests on the uh, on the space that, that are directly involved with the case itself. So pretty pumped about that. So just bear with us, guys. If you guys want to take a look down there, you can take a look through it. I'll probably go ahead and review what the Missouri v. Biden case is up to this point. And then uh, I'm going to go into uh, J- Jim Jordan's Facebook files. I may start with that and then go backward back into the Missouri v. Biden case. So bear with me. It's going to be quiet for a minute. Pretty crazy stuff here. So. I went through Jim Jordan's thread yesterday, obviously saw a lot that I already knew, but uh, it's good to have it on receipts. So just bear with it. Like I said, give me a few minutes. A couple more minutes, guys. Uh, Those of you just joining, I've got both Tracy's thread down. In the chat, and then I also attached Jim Jordan's uh, Facebook thread from yesterday, and I kind of, I probably will go ahead and go through the uh, Facebook thread first, and then we can come back to uh, what's going on with Missouri v. Biden, because the last time I had a space on this was, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, at least at this point. There's been a lot of updates since, so, you know, Tracy's here. Okay, good.
Okay, guys, good morning. Everybody's making their way in. I am in my office. It is now 8.07 a.m. I'm doing this early. I typically do this in a few hours. So, But now that I'm getting set up here, I think it's time we go through uh, this uh, Jim Jordan's Facebook thread. Those of you who've been following along, like I said, this is part four. I've been doing a lot of these spaces on this case, as I believe this is the most important case in my lifetime that I've seen. A lot of people say, well, you know, who cares? Of course, the government censors. But, but guys, this is the point. You know, all the receipts are here, like the, the requested evidence that they used for the emergency injunction, um, expedited injunction hearing. It's not just Twitter files, guys. This is everything. So that's why it's so important to me. People are asking me, do I call it X? Do I call it Twitter? I still call it Twitter. Uh, I have a tough time calling it X because I still go to twitter.com <laughs> to pull it up and I don't want to let go of my bird, but uh, here, let me pull this up here. I'm gonna go through Jim Jordan's thread a little bit and then we're gonna come back on, uh, come back on the Missouri v. Biden case and Tracy's insane reporting on this over the last year. Both of them are down in the chat guys. So I don't know if a lot of you even know that this came out yesterday. Uh, this was huge, I saw this I woke up in the morning, it was at uh, 9.03 a.m. And I, I woke up and I got to the office and I opened up Twitter and I saw a tweet from Jim Jordan that said the Facebook files part one. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Is this like a parody account? And then I, I saw the great check and I'm like, no, this is Jim Jordan writing a Twitter thread. <laughs> it's, it was a new one for me. So I, uh, I, I took a look through it and it's pretty shocking what's in here. I don't know if a lot of you guys even saw this, but... Um, what Tracy and I were talking about yesterday, I believe that this is the end game for the Missouri v. Biden case. And so when you look through this, like her and I were talking about this, and I, I really want to get Tracy's thoughts. I know she, she's going to be making her way up here in a minute, but uh, while we get everybody set up and get ready to go, Sean joined us. Hey, Sean, what's up? Joe Biden didn't do nothing. He's innocent. <laughs> he just wants some ice cream, man. <laughs> Hey, Tracy, good morning. Good morning. You're an early bird. I'm, I'm proud of you. Good I know. You. I know. Remember we were talking yesterday. I was like, well, maybe I'll do, uh, maybe I can do like noon my time, which is like three your time. She's like, uh, no. <laughs> I, like, I said right. the rest of the civilized world is on Eastern time. Let's get with <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, uh, you already had your... Um, I was talking to name. Uh, you were already doing your stream today. So you did you talk a little bit about uh, maybe what's what the future holds with this today? Yeah, I, I did. And, you know, name has some good points that he was making to me today. We disagree on a, a few things, but I think we disagree because I can't hear him speaking and I'm reading words um, more than anything else. But yeah, I mean, I think the plan that you have um, to go through this the way that you want to is, is spot on. So I'm just going to shut up until you're done and then vomit. <clears throat> yeah, cool. So, yeah, it, and matter of fact, what's good about this is that Jim Jordan did not do threads like you or I would do, where it's, you know, 37 posts. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a little bit more succinct with his than what we would do because we're – I sometimes when I do threads, I get a little autistic, and I'm like, no, listen, this connects here. Let me show you how it connects here. You know, so uh, here's, what, here's, what, then here's what I'll do real quick. I'll run through this thread so people can hear it on the recording. And then I would love for you to vomit on the room about it. So, um, 
So guys, real quick, those of you that are making your way in, uh, if you could retweet the space, in my opinion, this is probably the most important case that I'll probably see in my lifetime. Granted, we have some political cases going on right now. That's another matter. But this is, in my opinion, one of the most important cases going. So let's talk about the update with Jim Jordan here, how it fits in with the Missouri v. Biden case. And then uh, we'll do some uh, rehashing of what's going on, because there has been, Tracy, a lot of updates to the Missouri v. Biden case. As a matter of fact, isn't today a deadline? I believe yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. So to, yeah. Today's a deadline uh, for the government to on that because uh, they're they're arguing the stay on the injunction. Correct. Yeah. The government filed their response and I threaded it out. Um, I think it was two yeah. days ago. And and it's it's so funny because everything that was released today directly contradicts everything in their filing. So I was like, oh, gosh, AG, please get on this immediately. Like, immediately do something with this. We need it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, super excited. So, all right, here, here's what I'm going to do, guys, because I want to get Tracy's take on this, too. Uh, I'm going to go through Jim Jordan's quick thread here just to kind of kind of bring it all together. And then we will go back to Missouri v. Biden and, and we'll go from there. So down in the chat, uh, Jim Jordan actually put out a thread yesterday, uh, 9 a.m. my time. So it was noon, uh, the, the civilized world's time. Uh, and Facebook files part one, smoking gun docs prove Facebook censored Americans because of Biden White House pressure. So he says, never before released internal documents subpoenaed by the Judiciary Committee prove that Facebook and Instagram censored posts and changed their content moderation policies because of unconstitutional pressure from the Biden White House. During the first half of 2021, social media companies like Facebook faced tremendous pressure from the Biden White House, both publicly and privately, to crack down on alleged misinformation. In April of 2021, Facebook employees circulated an email for Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and, and Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg, writing, quote, we are facing continued pressure from external stakeholders, including the Biden White House, to remove posts. And there's a screenshot here uh, where that is actually in that email. You guys can read it for yourself. This is These, these are subpoenaed emails and records from Facebook. In another tw April 2021 email, Nick Clegg, who is Facebook's president for global affairs, informed his team at Facebook that Andy Slavitt, and remember the Andy Slavitt name, guys, he's actually in the Missouri v. Biden case. A senior advisor to the President Biden was, quote, outraged that Facebook did not remove a particular post. And Andy Slavitt, I mean, he can be outraged, but we we all know that Rob Flaherty is is the big bully behind all, a lot of this. But that's besides the point, and that's out of the White House. So. Uh, if you guys look at the screenshot, it's all here saying Andy attended a meeting of misinformation researchers, didn't provide names, organized by Rob Flaherty on Friday, in which the consensus was that Facebook is a, quote, disinformation factory and that YouTube has made significant advances to remove content leading to vaccine hesitancy whilst have been lagged behind. While we appreciate, uh, he used whilst a lot, just say while we appreciate our emphasis on authoritative vaccine on authoritative vaccine, I'm assuming information, the principal focus for Andy Slavitt and his team in the coming weeks is to reach a quote, hardest to reach people who have a propensity to consume vaccine hesitant related content and who are not swayed by official authoritative sources of content. Oh, you mean people like me? Mm -hmm. You're not gonna reach me guys, just so we're clear. I don't give a shit what you guys think. I'm gonna look for myself. Um, our systems, he believes, as confirmed by researchers, feed vaccine-hesitant related content to pockets of the population. And that's the problem he, he wants our help to resolve. So let me read that one more time. So Andy Slavitt believes that Facebook's systems 
And as confirmed by the researchers, feed vaccine hesitant related content to pockets of the population. And that's the problem he wants us to our help to resolve. It's ridiculous. But OK, these guys really firmly believe and they probably have some data to suggest it, but they really believe that social media drives these vast swaths of people to think one way or another. And I know that to be true. I understand how that works. But the people that they're talking about here, the hardest to reach are people who are not actually swayed by social media. So it's kind of they're justifying the way I'm reading this is that in the, it seems to be in their minds that they're justifying, you know, centering to reach these hardest to reach pockets of people that have a propensity to push back on authoritative or official narratives. But I don't but I don't see how social media would change that. They're still suggesting that these companies actually did that. And I, I just disagree with that. Like, I would not say that I'm a person that's swayed by what Twitter says or by what Facebook says. I'm the kind of person that says, wow, that's interesting. Let me go see if I can. Let me see if I can cross, you know, examine that and see if I can duplicate that that information anywhere else. And then I look again and I look again and then I talk about it. It's it, anyway, that's a side point. I, I don't want to get derailed this. But she, he says, as an example, he was outraged. Not too strong a word to describe his reaction that we did not remove this post, which was third most highly ranked post in the data set we sent to him. So, again, that was Andy Slavitt was mad that they did not remove a particular post. Um, this is from Nick Clegg in email. You guys can take a look at that. He said, what in this? And you guys want to know what the post was? This is great. What did the Biden White House want removed? A meme. That's right. Even memes weren't spared from the Biden White House's censorship effort. I can attest to this. I've been banned off of Facebook and, and Instagram for memes. That's all I used to do. I never did stuff like this. I, I just made memes. And it's in this, it's this post. It looks like from April 4th of 2021 from some random Timothy McComas guy. And it's a meme of the, uh, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio when he's pointing at the TV from the movie, um, the time of Ho once upon a time in Hollywood or whatever it's called. And it's just, it's just a pointing to the TV and says, did you, do you or loved one take a COVID vaccine? You may be entitled to compensation, blah, 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 blah. It was, it's just a stupid meme. And this is what he was so up in arms about. It says when Clegg, quote, countered that removing content like that would represent a significant incursion in traditional boundaries of free expression in the U.S., end quote. Slavitt dis dis disregarded the warning and the First Amendment. So right here, there's a link to this Thomas McComas post, and it says, I countered that removing content like that would represent a significant incursion into to traditional boundaries of free expression in the U.S., but he replied that the post was directly comparing COVID vaccines to asbestos poisoning in a way which demonstrably inhibits confidence in COVID vaccines amongst those in the Biden administration is trying to reach. <laughs> Good Lord, these people, man. <laughs> so, yeah, they believe that this meme, um, people, because by looking at this meme, would automatically assume that, oh, that's, that's the same thing as asbestos poisoning. They don't, they, they just, this is why the left can't meme. They don't understand nuance and humor. It's just crazy to me. So then it says, what happened next? Facebook panicked. So in another 20, April, 2021 email, Brian Rice, who is uh, Facebook's vice president of public policy, raised the concern that Andy Slavitt's challenge felt quote, very much like a crossroads for us with the Biden White House in these early days. But Facebook wanted to repair its relationship with the White House to avoid adverse action. Quote, given what is at stake here, it would also be a good idea if we could regroup and take stock of where we are in our relations with the White House and our internal methods as well. 
<clears throat> but this wasn't the first time that the Biden White House was angry that Facebook didn't censor more. According to these documents, the Biden White House demanded to know why Facebook had not censored a video from Tucker Carlson, so Facebook prepped its response. To appease the Biden White House, talking points were drafted for Clegg. Facebook was ready to tell the White House that it had demoted a video posted by Tucker Carlson by 50% in response to the White House's demands, even though the post didn't violate any policies. And the screenshot here was an internal memo that was sent around. So thanks, Nick. Here's some talking points that you can use if Andy raises Rob's questions. Rob is Rob Flaherty, who was the head of digital communications at the White House, by the way. And when we get into the Missouri v. Biden case, you're going to see Rob's name a lot. It says, how was this Tucker Carlson post not violative? This is from... Uh, Rob's questions. While we remove content, the answer is while we remove content that explicitly directs people not to get the vaccine, um, as well as content that con contains explicit misrepresentations about vaccines, we reviewed this content in detail and it does not violate those policies. Moreover, you say you reduced and demoted. What does that mean? This is Rob's questions again. You say you reduced and demoted. What does that mean? There's 40,000 shares in that video. Who is seeing it now? How many? How effective is that? The answer. The video is receiving 50% demotion for seven days as it's in the queue to be fact-checked. So if a post is flagged, it seems here, if a post is flagged and it's sent to a queue to be fact-checked, so the, the fact-checkers, Media Matters, all these people, including internal ops within Facebook, uh, it automatically receives a demotion until it can be fact-checked. This explains a lot, by the way, I might add. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. So public pressure mounted as well. In July 2021, President Biden publicly denounced Facebook and other social media platforms claiming they were, quote, killing people by not censoring alleged misinformation. This is a Reuters article. If you guys remember this, they were talking about that a, a lot. They even set it up at the podium. You know, Facebook is killing people by not removing anti-jab and COVID misinformation. I, I remember that. Uh, I think I made memes about it. On August 2nd, 2021, Facebook admitted it was going to change its policies because of pressure from the Biden White House. And on August 2nd of 2021, quote, Facebook's leadership asked the misinformation policy to brainstorm some additional policy levers that we can pull to be more aggressive against misinformation. Uh, this is stemming from the continued criticism of our approach from the Biden admin. So in the screenshot says here, context, leadership asked the misinfo policy group and a couple of teams on product policy to brainstorm some additional policy levers that we can pull to be more aggressive against COVID and vaccine misinformation. This is stemming from the continued criticism of our approach from the U.S. admin and a desire to kick the tires further internally on creative options. We know there's also a parallel effort to brainstorm product BTG levers that we can pull. And we've been, we've been sprinting over the past several days and we have both dusted off some ideas we previously discussed and come up with some new ones. So, Here's here's I, I still I'm, I'm not I'm not completely absolving Facebook here, the social media companies. But what I will say is that I believe that Section 230 and threats to the protections that they've been offered are constantly levied against these these social media companies by members of the government and Biden admin White House, which has then forced them to pivot into having these departments within the social media companies to determine and figure out how to suppress ban and create some additional levers they can be more aggressive against whatever the with whatever the white house wanted <clears throat> and, and again i'm not absolving the ideologues that are within these companies because we know of it i mean we saw these third-party moderators we saw through twitter files that a lot of these people had no problem because they're ideologues and they put ideology above above um 
you know, we, rights we have as citizens in this country. But it seems to me that, that a vast majority that allowed uh, these censor, these censorship NGOs and groups and admin White House to censor Americans was through pressure that they levied uh, through those different means. And it could not just be Section 230 protections, but it also could be um, it could also be, you know, threats of, uh, you know, sanctions and taxes, so on and so forth. So anyway, but let's go back to it. So, it, but it wasn't just the White House. So Facebook also changed its policies in direct response to pressure from Biden's Surgeon General. Yeah, uh, that that was Vivek Murthy uh, censoring members on the disinformation dozen. So the disinformation dozen came up in the uh, Missouri v. Biden case. Uh, Alex Berenson was one of them. I think Bobby Kennedy's one of them. RFK, yeah, okay, so RFK is one of them. Uh, the Dirty Dozen, we'll talk about that when we get in the Missouri v. Biden case again. But again, that's all in here. So this email from their August 6th discussion regarding our response to the Surgeon General on COVID-19 misinformation. During that discussion, we agreed to further explore four discrete policy options for reducing the prevalence of COVID-19 misinformation on our platforms. Since then, the teams have scoped the requirements for executing those options. So below... They've got the options here. So option one was <clears throat> designate any assets linked to groups, pages, profiles, accounts, which have been removed for COVID misinformation violation and non-recommendable to users. So basically they, they, they reduce their reach, their visibility, they're not recommended to users, and those accounts are completely suppressed, whether or not they continue to say something that was violative of their own policy. And they're saying that an impact of this would be any asset linked to this group's pages, profiles, accounts that have been removed for COVID misinformation violations would not be recommended to user. Example, RFK Jr.'s Instagram account is removed. So his Facebook post or his Facebook page will also be non-recommendable. So they're going cross-platform, right? So uh, I put a post on Instagram. They took it down. They didn't like it. It automatically triggers, it automatically triggers suppression on Facebook because of something I did on Instagram and vice versa. And we know this, we know this to be true, but they've got it, it's in writing right here. It's one thing that we know it because we, we, we felt it. It's another thing to see it in writing and they were doing it intentionally. So status, by the end of this week, we will enforce on approximately 60 linked assets related to the distance. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Can you yeah. do me a favor? What date was that email sent on? August 6th. So it doesn't show the date, but it's saying that they, they had a meeting on August 6th. So this is a follow up. It was either that day or the next day. So either August 6th or August 7th of 2021. Do you remember, because you're a genius like this, the date of the press conference that Saki had when she recommended that if they do somebody does something on one platform, it should be broadened out to the rest of them? Uh, the exact date, it had to have been around that time because it's actually, in, that's why Jen Psaki is being um, subpoenaed for deposition in the Missouri v. Biden case. And I want to say, I'll just look at, I'll look it up right now because it's got to be right around that time. Right? If, because, if, I'm just curious if they're, because if, I don't think that connection has been made yet. But now that I'm thinking about it while you're reading, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yes. So. Uh, I'll find it right now uh, regarding covid and social media companies. It's got to be around that time. Because, yeah, yeah, yep. So it looks like July 16th is when she held that press conference. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay, very yep. good. Thank you so much. Yep. So not even a, not even a month later, here we are. And this, this lines up with uh, Vivek Murthy 
his press conference as well, which I think was in, within a day or two of this. And if you remember back up earlier where it says uh, this is the policy coming out of the Biden uh, admin here. Matter of fact, the article is right here from Reuters. Give me one second. I'll tell you the date on that. July 16th. There we go. So it says uh, Biden, Facebook, uh, others are killing people by carrying COVID misinformation. So basically they had like a run of like two or three days where you had the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy get up and do a press conference talking about this. You had Jen Psaki on July 16th also hold this uh, press conference and Joe Biden giving an interview saying that, that Facebook is killing people based on their misinformation on the policy. So yeah. the, this is less than a month later and they're already basically discussing their plans to roll this out. Well, yeah, it's the cross-platform ban that I'm most... Um, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, it's cool. the same time. Sorry about that. No, same time. It was the July 16th one. Mm-hmm. This is crazy. So that was that was option one, which we know they did, right? We know, we know they did this. So here it is. So over the next three weeks, we will engage in further work to understand how to mitigate the risk of over-enforcement here. We will then return with a further recommendation on broader policy change that will affect more than just the 60 disinformation dozen leak assets. Option two, and I'll talk about the disinfo dozen when we get to Missouri v. Biden. Now, they, they said option two, count COVID misinformation and harm vaccine widely debunked hoaxes, which is WDH, and COVID repeatedly fact check hoaxes towards misinformation repeat offender status. Now, this is interesting. So they were going to do a misinformation repeat offender status, which is basically suppressing your account, removing reply, deboosting, not recommending, and imagine a search ban as well. So they're saying impact. Currently, there's only three PFC-related uh, false altered content counts towards misinformation repeat offender status, uh, which results in demotions and demonetization for entities. There you go. So counting COVID uh, M&H, which is misinformation and harm, vaccine uh, widely debunked hoaxes and COVID repeatedly fact-checked hoaxes strikes towards misinform repeat offender status with more quickly penalized entities spreading COVID or vaccine misinformation on top of our normal community standards penalty. So this is what we've been talking about with these fact-checkers, quote-unquote, the circular reporting fact-checkers, right? So you have like uh, Media Matters and these other fact-checking orgs, factsfirstusa.org. That's David Brock and, and that team. I'll, I'll talk about David Brock and Michael Teeter. I've already talked about them multiple times, but we'll get to them later. But that's that's what that's why these fact-checking wars were so evil, right? So you you plant you put a story into like USA Today, and then you would basically use your fact-checking org to come in and use that article, which was a bunch of BS, and use that to fact-check. And once you were hit with multiple fact-checks, then you were demonetized. You were, you know, delisted, deep, deprioritized, completely demoted, reply ban, search ban, all of these things based on fake news reporting that they were used in these fact checking orgs. This is how this is how they did it. And then what they're saying here is that, well, because you're getting, you know, three or more of these fact checks, we're going to completely remove your account when what they used was a lie. Or even worse, they would they would fact check it, say false. But then if you read it towards the bottom, it was like, but this is mostly true <laughs> or or it was or it was they would label it false and fact check it. Um, Tim Pool uses a great example. He always says, OK, so so I, I tweeted uh, Donald Trump did a backflip or this today or this morning. Donald Trump did a backflip fact check false. Donald Trump did a backflip in the early afternoon. 
right? But once you got hit with that, then that's how they were going to take your take your content down, and it also prioritized within their algorithms, and they could demonetize and get rid of it. So this is this is how they used it, and then also the status where they're at with this. This is retard. Yep. So it looks like July sixteenth is when she held that press conference. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay, very yep. good. Thank you so much. Yep. So not even a, not even a month later, here we are. And this this lines up with uh, Vivek Murthy, uh, his press conference as well, which I think was in, within a day or two of this. And if you remember back up earlier where it says uh, this is the policy coming out of the Biden uh, admin here. Matter of fact, the article is right here from Reuters. Give me one second. I'll tell you the date on that. July 16th. There we go. So it says uh, Biden, Facebook, uh, others are killing people by carrying COVID misinformation. So basically they had like a run of like two or three days where you had the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy get up and do a press conference talking about this. You had Jen Psaki on July 16th also hold this uh, press conference and Joe Biden giving an interview saying that, that Facebook is killing people based on their misinformation on the policy. So right. the, this is less than a month later and they're already basically discussing their plans to roll this out. Well, yeah, it's the cross-platform ban that I'm most... Um, mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, it's cool. the same time. Sorry about that. No, same time. It was the July 16th one. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. So that was that was option one, which we know they did, right? We know we know they did this. So here it is. So over the next three weeks, we will engage in further work to understand how to mitigate the risk of over enforcement. Here, we will then return with a further recommendation on broader policy change that will affect more than just the 60 disinformation dozen leak assets. Option two. And I'll talk about the disinfo dozen when we get to Missouri v. Biden. Now, they, they state option two, count COVID misinformation and harm vaccine widely debunked hoaxes, which is WDH, and COVID repeatedly fact check hoaxes towards misinformation repeat offender status. Now, this is interesting. So they were going to do a misinformation repeat offender status, which is basically suppressing your account, removing reply deboosting, not recommending, and imagine a search ban as well. So they're saying impact. Currently, there's only three PFC-related uh, false altered content counts towards misinformation repeat offender status, uh, which results in demotions and demonetization for entities. There you go. So counting COVID uh, M&H, which is misinformation and harm, vaccine uh, wi widely debunked hoaxes, and COVID repeatedly fact-checked hoaxes strikes towards misinform repeat offender status with more quickly penalized entities spreading covid or vaccine misinformation on top of our normal community standards penalty. So this is what we've been talking about with these fact checkers, quote unquote, the circular reporting fact checkers, right? So you have like uh, Media Matters and these other fact checking orgs, factsfirstusa.org. Uh, That's David Brock and, and that team. I'll, I'll talk about David Brock and Michael Teeter. I've already talked about them multiple times, but we'll get to them later. But that's that's what that's why these fact checking orgs were so evil, right? So you, you, plant, you put a story into like USA Today, and then you would basically use your fact-checking org to come in and use that article, which was a bunch of BS, and use that to fact-check. And once you were hit with multiple fact-checks, then you were demonetized, you were you know delisted, deprioritized, de completely demoted, reply ban, search ban, all of these things based on fake news reporting that they were used in these fact-checking orgs. This is how, this is how they did it. And then what they're saying here is that, well, 
because you're getting you know three or more of these fact checks, we're going to completely remove your account when what they used was a lie. Or even worse, they would they would fact check it, say false. But then if you read it towards the bottom, it was like, but this is mostly true <laughs> or or it was or it was they would label it false and fact check it. Um, Tim Pool uses a great example. He always says, OK, so so I, I tweeted uh, Donald Trump did a backflip or this today or this morning. Donald Trump did a backflip fact check false. Donald Trump did a backflip in the early afternoon. Right. But once you got hit with that, then that's how they want to take your take your content down. And it also prioritized within their algorithms and they could demonetize and get rid of it. So this is this is how they used it. And then also the status where they're at with this. They said we're targeting the end of September for launch. This includes updating language on existing transparency surfaces to notify affected entities how content we remove for COVID vaccine violations factors into their repeat offender status. I already kind of explained that. So Tracy, just for the room and everybody else, this program was set to launch for September. At this point, this is in uh, the first week of August of 2021. So they're saying the, the following month is when this rolls out in 2021. I, this is just crazy. And all because, again, the government was like, you need to do something about this. 100%. Yep. Amazing. This is the Biden White House. This is Andy Slavitt and Rob Flaherty, right? This is, this is the bully of social media, Rob Flaherty. And then they're saying option three, uh, demote COVID or vaccine misinformation rated partly false. Here, I was just talking about this. Perfect. So number three, demote COVID or vaccine misinformation rated partly false more strongly. Yeah, this is interesting. So they're saying that even if it's partly false, which is why I just demonstrated how they did that, then they're, you're also getting demoted. It says impact. We currently demote content rate rated partly false at 50%. We will increase that demotion level to 80% for COVID and vaccine misinfo. <laughs> Note, in the last month, fact checkers applied, quote, partly false ratings to at least 1,000 COVID-19 vaccine content. Status, we are targeting the end of next week for launch, so this is in August. This includes transparency updates in an existing newsroom post link. I'm not sure what the newsroom post is, but I'm assuming that's just one of their, one of their filters that they use these posts to kind of like a tranche where they just take it and then move it into different uh, segments that can be, you know, demonetized, deprioritized, so on and so forth. Option four, count COVID or vaccine related URLs that are rated partly false or missing context towards quote domain repeat offender status, i.e. penalize the URL domains from which the content was shared. So now this is about COVID and vaccine related, but if you guys remember the Hunter Biden story, the New York Post article, this is how they were doing it on all the social media platforms with that URL where you couldn't even share the link to the story. So they, they would just penalize the URL domain and with the content was shared. And that enabled people like Facebook to not only control that URL from being shared in, in Facebook DM or Instagram, but also WhatsApp and Twitter was doing the same thing on in, in their DMs as well. You couldn't even share that article in the DM. So this, this, is, this is how they did it. They're saying impact. The Dis Disinfo Dozen reported faulted Facebook for allowing users to share URLs linked to the Disinfo Dozen. Misinformation policy found that for the most viral Disinfo Dozen URLs rated by third-party fact checkers, 85% of those ratings were either partly false or missing context. However, only false ratings count towards Misinfo repeat offender status, which means those URLs rated, URLs rated false, all user share of that URL's domain will be demoted. Whoa. Let me read that one more time. 
So, however, only false ratings count towards misinfo repeat offender status, which means for those URLs rated false, all user shares of that URL's domain will be demoted. Status, change, this is a heavy lift to integrate into our existing repeat offender system. Instead, we will approach this as, a, as an on escalation break the glass measure. We will periodically manually review domains that had a high number of third-party fact check ratings to see if enough of them were COVID or vaccine related. We will enforce on domains that meet that threshold manually for 90-day domain demotion. Note, threshold is still being determined. Misinfo policy and product are aligned on this modification of the option as a, as a break the glass solution. And then the caveats to this, this will not flow through normal repeat offender process. So we will not, we will not have messaging that domain repeat offender status has been met. However, many of our domain repeat offender demotions do not give notification unless the domain is explicitly tied to a page. We will need to have a reactive comms plan for part. This is just insane. This. <laughs> so they're creating entire departments. Uh, they are demoting everything and, and all based, all based, all, all of it based on partly false fact checking or uh, missing context. So you guys remember when we would laugh, I remember this, I'd watch a YouTube video or I'd get on, I mean, this is back when I still had a Facebook account and I would see these stupid fact checks and I would just laugh. I'm like, these, these fact checks are ridiculous. Like, do they really think they were that stupid? But what you're seeing here was that the, their main purpose was not really to convince the public of the alternate information contained in the fact check. It was just designed to flag it. So basically, these third-party fact checkers did not actually have to integrate directly into these social media companies. They just were given access, API access to the platform itself. And then they would go through with their teams. They were funded by you know, NGOs and a lot of them were taking government grants to censor. We know this. And they were doing this on their own. And once that was hit with the fact check, it then flagged it for the system to then begin the process of taking that account down. Like this is how they did it. So we saw on the Twitter files where you had groups like um, the Global Engagement Center, where they were basically a filtering process of nine different governmental agencies. And they're you know, producing these tranches of, of posts and accounts to take down. They then would feed it through CISA, which was a switchboard for all the social media companies. And then they would just basically directly connect. Well, as we saw with the JIRA uh, ticketing system at Twitter, where it would just feed 50,000 posts and accounts a day that they had gathered through these other organizations that's government funded, by the way, the CISA is the part of the Department of Homeland Security. And they were just feeding the social media companies directly taking them down. Well, this was another way that they were taking them down by labeling fact checks or partly false, you know, BS fact checks that were used in circular reporting for outlets like the USA Today, where they were publishing fake news. And then they were using that to fact check with to take you down. This is fascinating. Uh, these documents and others that were just produced to the committee prove that Biden admin abused its powers to coerce Facebook into censoring Americans, preventing free and open discourse on issues of critical public importance. Only after the committee announced its intention to hold Mark Zuckerberg in contempt did Facebook produce any internal documents to the committee, including these documents, which prove the government pressure was directly responsible for its censorship on Facebook. Based on Facebook's newfound commitment to fully cooperate with the committee's investigation, the committee has decided to hold contempt in abeyance for now. 
To be clear, contempt is still on the table and will be used if Facebook fails to cooperate in full. To be continued, Jim says. I know he's got a part two coming. Um, I don't see that he's released part two yet, so that's probably coming next week. Oh yeah, because it's it's he's running on all the he, he, it's running on Fox, on Daily Wire, Fox News, Wall Street Journal. Yeah, so he's getting the media runs out of this, so he probably won't even release part two until next week. But this is really important to know. Maybe for not the reasons that he wants us to note it, because we're looking at this thing maybe a little bit differently. And I know that Jim Jordan's definitely funded by big tech, uh, at least partially. But, but ultimately, this does show and prove a lot of things that we've all suspected, on top of when we get into the Missouri v. Biden case, how important this information really is going to be. So, Tracy, did you want to vomit a little bit? Sure. Yes, absolutely. So the reason why I and you and, and others like really you jumped when this came out is because the entire time. So let's just do a quick review for, for folks who may be um, not as familiar. We had the Missouri v. Biden case where the states of Missouri and, and Louisiana are suing the federal government with with other individual plaintiffs for the very things that we just heard. The entire case is built around the fact that the government is pressuring and coercing social media companies to censor posts um, based on what, what they consider to be disfavored viewpoints, like, for example, the COVID vaccines, the withdrawal from Af- Afghanistan, abortion, like any popular issue where the, there's a, a narrative that isn't, you know, in lockstep with what the progressive left wants. That's what they're, that's what they're interested in censoring. And so the judge in the case is amazing. It, it, the, the plaintiffs were asking for a temporary injunction. The quiet, sorry about that, the injunction was granted, and it was very specific in its wording. It bars the government from communicating with social media companies to censor, de-boost, um, you know, flag. There is very specific language in there about what the, the government cannot do. It still allows the government, we had a long space about this trash, right? I mean, it still allows them to talk about, um, you know, crime or whatever. They're still allowed to post on social media to speak to the public. Um, it, the only thing it stops them from doing is colluding with social media companies to raise their, uh, bring their attention to things that need to be taken down and, and demanding things be taken down. And so obviously the government doesn't want free speech to be a thing. So they're, they're fighting this in the appeals court. And they filed their, basically their appeal the other day where their argument is, we're not forcing these companies to do anything. They're doing it of their own volition. We're just giving them a helping hand to enforce their own content moderation, um, their own content moderation policies. And this has not held water with the judge who doesn't, you know, he, he's, he's like accused them basically of gaslighting everybody. And I don't think it's going to hold water with the appeals court either. But up until now, we have only gotten discovery from the government. We have not gotten discovery from the social media companies where we've seen this from them. So everybody knows this was happening, but we have not to date in this case had social media companies openly stating that due to government pressure, they must take X action. And the government's entire argument is that they're doing everything of their own volition and they just filed paperwork on the docket the other day to that effect at length. And now we have a release where Facebook is emailing their staff internally at a high level saying the White House is really pushing us to 
take this down or to de-boost this or to do this or to do that. They're finished, Trash. They're absolutely finished. There, there is no way. Now, my question is this, and I don't know if there are any attorneys on, on the, the space right now or not, but I want to know how Bailey and Landry and them are going to get this into the docket for the appeal in a way, because it's public record. I think that they can introduce it. Um, I, I actually think they might need to read it into the record in a hearing for them to be able to introduce it. But Missouri said they're on it already. My biggest thing is this is literally game over for the government, for the case. It's game over. Once we start getting discovery from social companies in the Missouri v. Biden case on top of what the government's already provided, the social media companies are between a rock and a hard place. They're saying we can't stick up for daddy government because if we do, our Section 230 protection is in jeopardy. And the left is saying, if you don't stick up for the government, your Section 230 protection is in jeopardy. So they're in a, in a really crap spot and faced with contempt, clearly have chosen to produce. And I think that's, that's very, very important to note. Uh, and that's why I think Jim Jordan, in my opinion, I, that's why I called this space endgame was because I believe that Jim Jordan added that caveat specifically by entering it into public record, because it is public record throughout the committee, the Judiciary Committee. By doing that, that means that they're at that point, right, they're government docs. So why couldn't they be actually added to the injunction? Well, the only time in a case like this that you can add in new evidence after the case is like, for example, they're appealing something already on the record. So in order to be able to introduce new evidence, it has to be something that is an official government document. It can't be, oh, Facebook released a bunch of emails on their on their platform or anything like that. It has to be official. So the way that Jim Jordan did this is probably for that very reason. Yes. Yeah. And, and so uh, one more thing I want to note as well for people to understand what we are talking about is simply just the uh, the emergency expedited injunction ruling that was passed down by, Judge, uh, by Terry Doty, the judge on the case in Louisiana. And then the government came back and went to the, uh, the Fifth Circuit and basically appealed the injunction and they got a temporary stay. And their, their, their deadline to basically uh, issue a response, and I'll pull up those emails because those emails are damning. But basically they had, their, their, their excuse was, well, there's 160 different people in this case and there's 10,000s of documents. How could we ever review all of this? to give you our response to uh, Missouri v. Biden plaintiffs in this case on the temporary on the temporary stay on the injunction. But keep in mind that this is just the injunction portion of this case. So if for some reason uh, the Fifth Circuit upholds the stay and it goes back to Terry Doty, the case does not stop. It's just the injunction. And so with these documents, but again, I want to be clear, these documents specifically refute the, the the stance of the government in this in this uh, uh, stay hearing at the the appeal at the Fifth Circuit. So, yeah, I, I think this is the end game. And I think Jim Jordan absolutely did this on purpose to put this in the public record as in a government official document. Right, Tracy? I, I think that's what's happening. Yeah. Here. yeah, it has to be because, you know, this they firstly, there's two sections to what the government is saying. Number one, they're saying we're not able to speak now because of this injunction. It's too overbroad. We can't speak the way we need to speak. We have to be able to persuade the public if we want. They're misrepresenting the injunction altogether. And their second big argument that they filed is 
um, we're not coercing anyone to do anything. And there's no um, there's no evidence that there'll be any future harm, even if there was harm in the past. But clearly this blows that out of the water completely. I mean, it, it just blows it out of the water. It was the hugest thing yesterday. And I'm really looking forward to the filing that's due today that will have the plaintiff's response to all of this and likely will include this too. But to your point, you have those emails between the lawyers that Missouri filed um, on the docket where they were arguing back and forth about the time. Trash. Yeah, I'm going to pull them up right now. Yeah, those are those. There's like a hardcore battle going on right now between the government and um, these plaintiffs. They're also arguing somewhat ridiculously, in my opinion, because the judges now ruled against it several times, a standing argument that the government does uh, that the M- Missourian and Louisiana don't have standing to bring the, the case at all. They're doing everything and anything because what this will mean if they if they uphold the injunction at the fifth circuit, the government has already indicated they're going to appeal to the SCOTUS. So this is not even the last step. They'll go one more to the SCOTUS. I have a really hard time believing that SCOTUS would not uphold this injunction. It just doesn't make any sense. Even still, like Trash said, the case is going to keep going. The motion to dismiss was denied. There's one thing I am very uh, leery about, which is the the join the uh, merging of these cases between the RFK case that's going on in this case, it, it bothers the hell out of me. I don't like it. It's, it's, it's almost, it's almost like someone's trying to be a glory hog. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, I don't appreciate it. I have to read his case, but essentially what happens when you do that is you share discovery, you share resources. It just muddies the water quite a bit. But anyway, even with that being said, the case will still move forward. Um, so this is really massive. Now imagine what we're going to get when the social media companies are subpoenaed and have to hand stuff over. And it's not just a congressional subpoena, but it's a subpoena, you know, through, through a court. It's just going to be something. Yeah. And matter of fact, I actually, before I get to the emails, cause that battle is wild. Uh, when you, when you posted those emails, I, w- I was reading through it and you and I both came to the same agreement. Like <laughs> the government is flailing here. And I had pointed out specifically one of their arguments was there's so much to go through. And I believe even though that that filing is due today, that judge is going to come back and be like, well, yes, but these are your documents, right? Like these are your documents. And so like you guys should know this. These are your these are these are these are government officials that are intimately involved, because if you remember, the Fifth Circuit said, "Okay, we will allow you to swap out some people as long as the people that you're swapping out are directly intimate and familiar with the information that's being presented. And they tried to use that as some kind of gotcha too in their filing. (laughs) You know, they're like, oh, you even sent this back down for problems. No, no, no. They just took it down a notch to make it more typical, I guess you could say, but still allowed the depositions of very high-ranking members Mm -hmm. of these departments. Obviously, look what we got. They were the foot soldiers. I think they would have been better off with the executives because – at least they could have some plausible deniability. These guys were the ones doing everything, so they kind of shot them in the foot there, themselves in the foot. But also, if you were, if you during the weaponization hearing where RFK Jr. was speaking, they had the Breitbart reporter there and all that. Um, that one witness kept saying that this this injunction was vacated, and John Sauer, who's one of the attorneys, he's mm-hmm. assistant um, solicitor general, I, I guess, in, in Louisiana had to stand up and say, the court already came out, first of all, and said 
this doesn't mean anything. We do this with every injunction that comes our way. And second of all, it wasn't vacated because vacated is a completely different series, you know, law, lawful definition that has nothing to do with what actually happened. They're, all they do is lie. And they do. And actually, uh, before I get to the email, so you guys can understand what, what we're waiting on for today, uh, this was by coincidence that the, the only reason I'm having this space today is because Tracy and I were talking about this yesterday when Jim Jordan came out with this because we were both like, oh, this is big. This is massive for the case. And I was like, hey, wait, let's have a space about it tomorrow. And then as I started the space, Tracy, I was like, wait a minute, today's the 28th. That filing is due today. So this is perfect timing. Um, real quick, let me read to the, to the room here. Um, what are what the so okay the injunction basically was enjoining the government from prohibiting them from speaking to social media companies a, a kind of what i just went through right you know you've got uh, andy slab and rob flaherty basically bullying and putting pressure on the social media companies to take down certain information how they're going to do that so on and so forth but their argument that they've made and i'll get to the emails the argument that the government's making in this appeal for the injunction stay is that they sh they, they can't be prohibited from talking to these companies at all. And matter of fact, we just suggested things and this injunction doesn't make sense. And I, I, we called this out at the time and I think that the judge Doty did something very, very smart here. What he did was he says, okay, uh, the motion for the injunction is granted. However, I'm gonna, I'm gonna deny parts of the injunction on these eight different bases. And I'm gonna read these eight different bases right now so you can understand why I think this was genius. Number one, he says, it is further ordered that the following actions are not prohibited by this preliminary injunction. One, informing social media companies of, of postings involving criminal activity or criminal conspiracies. Two, contacting and or notifying social media companies of national security threats, extortion or other threats posed on its platform. So again, contacting or notifying they're not saying they can't take they're forced to take it down number three contacting and or notifying social media companies about criminal efforts to suppress voting to provide illegal campaign contributions of cyber attacks against election infrastructure or foreign attempts to influence elections number four informing social media companies of threats that threaten the public safety or the security of the united states Number five, ex exercising permissible public government speech promoting government policies or views on matters of public concern. So they're saying well, we're not enjoining you from from elevating or promoting government policies or or the government basically talking to the people. So they're not enjoined from doing that. Number six, informing social media companies of postings intending to mislead voters about voting requirements and procedures. Number seven, informing or communicating with social media companies in an effort to detect prevent or mitigate malicious cyber activity. And then number eight, communicating with social media companies about deleting, removing, suppressing, or reducing posts on social media platforms that are not protected free speech by the free speech clause in the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. So very important to note, because what he did was essentially chop the legs off of the government's uh, appeal in this ruling. He's saying, no, 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 no. Because that's what they're that's what they've been saying about this the whole time. They should be able yep. to do one through eight. And so the judge said, I agree, you should be able to do one through eight, but that's it. So and, yeah. this was like the major point of contention that people were complaining about with this ruling. And you and I had this discussion where I said he had to do it this way, and now you see why. He had to do it this way. It's it's basically appeal proof. I mean, what are they complaining about? They shouldn't want to be. If they weren't censoring people, this injunction means nothing to them. They wouldn't care.
100%. And that's, <laughs> that's the point, right? Because it's not what they're trying to do. One through eight is not what they want. One through eight should be, I, I, I agree with it to an extent that it should be a, a, available and possible, but that's not it. They want malinformation to be able to be controlled. Information that's true, but the, the public wouldn't think favorably of the information. What they label misinformation uh, should be removed. Although we know uh, the perversion of mis and disinformation by using these NGOs and the Global Engagement Center and these fake fact-checking circular reporting uh, agencies. I, again, I'm gonna bring them up again. Michael Teeter, David Brock, uh, Media Matters and Facts First USA. Oh, speaking of Tracy, you weren't in the space. So I was doing a deep dive. I found out that Ray Epps' attorney is actually Michael Teeter who worked under David Brock uh, as the executive director of the, of the 65 Project. He's Ray Epps' attorney. Okay, just to be clear, Michael Teeter, yeah, da under David Brock, is Ray Epps' attorney in the Fox lawsuit, the same people who are the fact checkers, Media Matters and Facts First USA, the DNC machine, uh, who also is the executive director of the 65 Project, the group that went after attorneys that were representing Trump and other interests after 2020 elections, then January 6th defendants, and so on and so on and so on. That same guy is representing Ray Epps, just, just to be clear. That one was crazy when I found it. And while I was having that space in real time, they scrubbed Michael Teeter from the 65 Project website. I had it the day before. I was going through the space. When I went back to the website to show people, it was gone. Luckily, Name Redacted found a archive of it, and it's still there. So they scrubbed him. So we were over target. That was, that was a crazy day. That was a crazy day. But anyway, I didn't want to get too sidetracked. I just wanted to put that note out there. So... Uh, and then July 5th, there's that. I'm going to find the emails here. So there's been some updates with it, but basically, okay. There was, where are your emails? I thought I added them to this thread. Hmm. They should be at the bottom of my pin tweet. Let me see. Okay. Oh, your pin tweet. Okay. Yeah. I'm using mega thread. I'll just use your pin tweet. I think that's the last thing that I put up there. I was using mega thread, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll just go to your pinned. I'm trying to keep track of this as best as I can. <laughs> I know. Well, there's so much here and it's so interconnected that I also kind of, I try to keep it all in the same place, but it's just, there's so much. Okay. 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 There's the appeal. Motion's granted. That there. Let me see. Mm-mm. <laughs> this is so much. Yeah. Okay. Oh, here it is. I got it. I got it's it. Yep. It's in the nest. Oh, perfect. Here, let me just pull that. Um, I'm just going to DM it to you so I can pull it up on my computer. Just ignore it. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I've got them right here. July 19th. Okay, perfect. Plaintiff's emails. Perfect. It's on the court listener. Perfect. <laughs> Okay, so these emails, guys, this is from John Sauer. Now, if you guys don't remember, like, what she was just talking about, John Sauer, man, they underutilized him at that committee. I was like, oh, my God, they got Sauer up there? Let's go. Like, this dude, like, this dude knows this case and knows this. Like, he's intimately involved in all of this. And they barely asked him questions. I was like, what are you guys doing? You have John Sauer at that table talking right now. Like, what are you doing? So, John Sauer, these are emails. Uh, from John Sauer, uh, and this is to uh, the various people that are representing the government in this case. 
And they're basically just, they're basically going back and forth, trying to bang out an agreement. And you guys, you guys got to read through it. It is absolutely hilarious. But I wanted to note, uh, let's see. Yeah. So, uh, July 25th is impossible. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. This is, this is probably my favorite one. This is from Kyla. This is from Kyla Snow, who's at the DOJ. And this is a response to John. She says, given the expedited briefing and argument schedule, the fifth circuit set for the, uh, plaintiff's appeal on Friday night, please let us know if your position on, is changed on a stay of the answer deadline, which is, uh, they're saying July 25th, but they moved to the 28th. Uh, he says, uh, the answer deadline and the submission of a case management plan pending resolution of appellate proceedings. She says, either way, we cannot agree to your proposed deadlines. A July 25th answer deadline for a 167-page complaint spanning roughly 600 paragraphs of allegations against almost 70 individuals and agencies is patently unreasonable. We plan to ask the court to waive the answer or at least stay the deadline pending resolution of the, of the plaintiff's appellate proceedings. Again... Which, which, why does it matter? That's what I said. It doesn't matter. Like, she seems to think because they put the standing issues in their appeal that the whole case is going to go away. <laughs> That's what she thinks, because they put the standing in the appeal. The whole case will disappear. It's, it's not happening. It's not happening. And that's why I pointed this out. I'm like, this, this, this response right here either tells me, number one, like to your point that she assumes that it will, it will be. Uh, but number two, <laughs> her argument is all the stuff that we provided to this case, uh, we can't go through. Wait a minute. This was for you to provide. What are you talking about? This is not, this is not coming from the plaintiffs. This is coming from the defendant. The argument's nonsense. And so they're trying to weasel out of it. You guys, you guys got to go through this. It's really, really interesting. Um, just go through all these emails because John is not having it. John's no, and I love him because he will attach things that you can't find anywhere else. For example, the transcript of the hearing that I went to is available now. Um, you don't have to buy it. You, you'd have to wait until like uh, September, October to get it for free. But he included it. Um, in a filing that he made. So I, I put it up on our script at Uncover DC. I mean, Trash, if you haven't read that yet, oh my gosh, hang up on the space when you're when we're done and, and jump in there. I'm going to. I'm going to. Oh, man, because John is just not having it. Like, this guy, John Sauer is a beast. Like, we even saw him at the hearing. I mean, he, he, did, he did really well, and it was fun. For people he doesn't that are... need a notepad. He doesn't no. need a file folder. The man is a walking encyclopedia, just like... The other solicitor general um, who's running for AG, AG right now in Louisiana, I listened. I went back and I listened to a bunch of her arguments in front of the Fifth Circuit because I wanted to hear her. And she is brilliant. Like the government lawyers are always reading their arguments and can't answer questions and stammering around. Not these guys. They're right on it. I know. It, it's, it's really epic to watch or listen to as well. So, so guys, real quick, I want to catch everybody up again. I went through Jim Jordan's thread of why I believed it was so important to this case. Tracy agrees with me. And I think that that's why I called this space Endgame Because if you go through that and then you go through the Missouri v. Biden case itself and you look at this and then you look at the arguments that they're making on the stay of injunction hearings. Um, and if you look at Terry Doty's carve outs for what the government is still allowed to do, they have no argument. And they have no argument that all they were doing was lightly suggesting or polite politely requesting we have emails like if you go through this case we have emails we have conversations we have 
proof from like Rob Flaherty, who was the director of communications at the White House, digital communications at the White House, and Andy Slavitt, who is also there because, oh, perfect, perfect. So actually um, right here, <laughs> this is interesting. So they're saying federal defendants also argue that plaintiffs have forfeited the right to serve Flaherty with written discovery and that plaintiffs have sufficient information to resolve their preliminary injunction motion. Federal defendants also concede that Andy Slabbitt would not be an alternate substitute for Flaherty and argue there's no need for discovery or deposition of Flaherty. Alternatively, federal defendants argue that if written discovery is authorized to Flaherty, then that the discovery be limited to document requests rather than in, in interrogatories. But after considering the arguments of plaintiffs and federal defendants, this court finds that there is no suitable alternative for Flaherty. However, because written discovery would be less intrusive than a deposition, it is authorized that written discovery be served on Flaherty, such as interrog interrogatories and requests for production of documents rather than a deposition. Within five days of date for this order, plaintiffs shall serve upon Flaherty interrogatories. And this is prior, this is in 2022. This is prior to the January 5th deadline that they gave the government to produce these documents and depositions and witnesses. Yeah. yeah, and they were skirting that. They were trying to get around it so badly. And the judge, I think at the end there somewhere, does say, if you don't produce these documents in so many words, you're, you're, you're toast. Like, yep. we'll bring you in for depo. So. Yep, yep. And this is why Jen Psaki was, you know, she was going like crazy. She filed that, she filed that appeal in, in Virginia. The Virginia judge said, I don't know why you're bringing this shit to me. You need to go talk to the judges that's in this case and you're going to be deposed. She lost that battle. Uh, but but Flaherty's interesting. And the reason I'm bringing him up specifically, because if you go back to the Jim Jordan uh, tweet here, it's talking about how Andy Slavitt was in communication. But this is only because Andy Slavitt was now at this point at the behest of Rob Flaherty. Rob Flaherty, again, the head of digital communications at the White House at the time and chief bully on, on social media companies. You know, he's gone now, right, Trash? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Rob Flaherty has gone. Yeah. And that's I think that's why he's bringing uh, Andy Slavitt into this conversation. Jim Jordan, anyway. God, there's so much here. I, will, I, 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 I so I think I really want to go back through this. <laughs> Cause just... I, know, it, I know. I know. It, it would be beneficial for, for folks to do because we're so far in it now, but. I want to start playing Welcome to the Jungle whenever we start talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Great up and saying. Oh, my God. And, and again, if you guys go through, I mean, so basically the government's arguments are completely null and void after, after these April 21, uh, August 21 emails and communications between the White House and the social media companies, the internal communications at Facebook. It's, it, this absolutely goes against the government's argument. So... I really would like to see their uh, their uh, their filing they're supposed to be making in regarding to the uh, Fifth Circuit. I almost sorry, I got a phone call. I yeah. almost want to give you what they filed the other day and have you just read the first like three pages. Let me find it on my Twitter timeline and, and send it to you. Um, I could put it. Where do you want me to DM it to you? Because it, it everyone will really get a kick out of it. Yeah, just DM it to me. That I can pull it up easy out of off the. I could probably even find it. I'm on your profile now. Let me see. Is it the Tristan Levitt one? No, that's Hunter Biden. Um. Wait. Hold on. Came over. Justin, Facebook, Instagram. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Jim Jordan. Yeah. 
It was just here. It is. I got it. Okay. Hold on. Into your DMs. Perfect. I think I linked it in the second tweet because Twitter wouldn't let me link it in the first one. It would. It would just throw it into drafts. <laughs> so st- I don't. I don't get it, man. I mean, it's court listener. It's not like I'm sending people to Facebook for goodness sakes. Exactly. All right. Yeah, I'll just read it. I can just, I'll just go through this for everybody because this is important. So, okay. So brief, uh, this is the brief from the government in appeals. This is the, this is the appeals to the Fifth Circuit after Terry Doty made the injunction uh, ruling. Uh, this is their, there's their brief that they, they submitted. It says, we're about to go through some of this brief in the government filed. It is their argument to the Fifth Circuit for why they should overturn the judge's ruling in the lower court on the temporary injunction barring the government from speaking with social media companies to censor First Amendment protected speech. Yes, the government is arguing in federal, I remember this, uh, federal court for the right to censor you. So there's the full filing. And you used to say here, as per the government, it's critical that they be able to speak to citizens. Foreign actors may use crisis to cause distrust in the official word of the government. Problem, the injunction doesn't stop the government from doing this. That's correct. It's what I just read. And so this is their brief. This is a screenshot from their brief. They actually still wrote this after even looking at the Yes, yes, they gaslight you the entire time. It's almost sad. That's why if you just read like the first, I have all the screenshots in there of what I was like most concerned about. Mm-hmm. So just, I mean, people probably their mouth, if they're very, okay, if you're in this space right now, you're super interested in this. Your mouth will hit the floor at what your government is doing in federal court. It will. <laughs> they're out of control. So. Introduction. One of the most central obligations of government leaders at any level is to protect the public against innumerable threats, natural disasters, outbreaks of disease, crime, economic turmoil, and much more. Government have concrete tools to address some of the challenges, but often one of the government's key roles is simply to provide the public with accurate and timely information to dispel false rumors and and to dispel false rumors is not the government's job to do that, by the way. And to explain what actions citizens and businesses can and should take to advance the public good. God damn. It's for the good of our democracy. Like, it's like Orwell had a baby. I'm telling you. It's, it's really something. Like, the, where in the Constitution does it grant the government the, the, the job of doing any of the things that they just wrote in a court document as though they are facts? Where? <laughs> and so here we go. This is, this is, this is quality stuff here. After an earthquake, for example, the public might panic about the stability of buildings, the safety of water supply, and the potential for aftershocks. Profiteers might seek to exploit the public's uncertainty, for example, by sowing rumors that the water is unsafe in order to sell bottled water at extortionate prices. And malign foreign states or terrorist groups might seek to exacerbate panic and undermine trust in government by spreading false information through social media. So now let's pretend we agree right there again. Nothing is stopping them from doing anything about that. They can use the official White House Twitter account or Facebook account and come out and say, don't Mm -hmm. listen to these people. They're foreign actors trying to get you to buy expensive bottled water. That's it. End of story. Yep. 100%. And that's all they need to do, right? Uh, that's, That's really all they need to do. But no, that's not what they're saying here. So they're saying that they're making the argument that they have the right to persuade you about their views. So in this, this is very interesting. In, it is critical in crises and also in ordinary, ordinary circumstances. <laughs> Wait, so it's critical not only in crisis, but also ordinary circumstances that the government leaders be able to disseminate accurate information and encourage actions that support the public good. Yes, official accounts, go for it. 
the government cannot punish people for expressing different views, nor can it achieve the same objective indirectly by threatening the media with punishment if it disseminates those views. But there is a categorical well-settled distinction between persuasion and coercion. <laughs> the government must be allowed to seek uh, to persuade people of its views, even if those views are subject of controversy. Uh, Can you read that again? Yeah, I, I, I just, I was gonna, I was gonna comment on it. It was just such a kick in the gut. The government must be allowed to seek to persuade people of its views, even where those views are subject of controversy. So they can persuade us, but they really want us to, to, to not be able to persuade others. <laughs> That's correct. Especially if it goes against what their view may be. That's correct. It gets, it gets worse. It, it does. And it says the district court's ruling ignored that, that fundamental distinction. The court equated the government's legitimate efforts to identify truthful information with illicit, with illicit efforts to silence the voice of opposition and equated legitimate efforts at persuasion with illicit efforts to coerce. So they're saying here that uh, the argument in the Missouri v. Biden case is that the government is censor censoring Americans' protected free speech. And by doing so and only you know, pushing the pro-government stance on any issue and then suppressing Americans' dissent, that, that that's not coercion. They're saying that that's simply a legitimate effort of persuasion. No, it is not. Basically, they're basically denying everything that just came out in those Facebook emails. Yes. And that's why the, that's why the Facebook emails are so important, in my opinion. Because yep. I was like, I was like, guys, this is this is it. This is the end game. This this is not this argument does not hold up. And there's, on the, there's more, but wait. Oh, oh, wait, but there's more. On the basis of those false equivalencies, the court issued an injunction with sweeping language that can be read to prohibit, among other things, virtually any government communication directed at social media platforms regarding content moderation. Guys, on the basis of persuasion versus coercion, those false equivalencies, they argue, the court issued an injunction with sweeping language that could be read to prohibit, among other things, virtually any government communication directed at social media platforms regarding content moderation. That is a lie. Specifically, not only, not only that, but but why should the government be able to talk to social media platforms about content moderation? That's my point. They're saying content moderation. They're not. They're not arguing. Uh, there's this proliferation of dangerous uh, speech. They're just saying content moderation in general, that virtually any government communication directed to social media platforms regarding content moderation. Well, I, I just read off the eight uh, provisions that are not enjoined for the mm -hmm. government to do. Yep. So, and now their brief is filed after that filing. Just to be clear, guys, this has been filed after the judge's but ruling. Not only is it filed after the judge's ruling, it's filed filed after they asked that judge to reconsider. And that judge came back, Doty came back with a whole 13, 14 page explanation of why they're out of their damn minds. <laughs> yeah, yes. And now they're arguing that the court's effort to tailor the injunction through a series of carve outs failed to cure the injunctions overbreadth and compounded its vagueness. Uh, the, uh, the judge is very clear on this. More gaslighting, of course. It's the government. What do you expect? And then you said that they keep saying the injunction censors government speech. 
it's disingenuous as to be nauseating. It's not what the injunction says at all. And it doesn't. And, and it says the injunction forbids co conduct having nothing to do with plaintiffs in a matter unnecessary to prevent irreparable harm to them. It raises grave separation of powers concerns by installing a federal court as a superintendent of communications between the executive branch and the public. It would, as discussed it's, above. And it's not even the public that we're talking about. Like they're talking <laughs> like they can't use their own social media accounts anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you just you just can't act as trust and safety for Facebook anymore, dude. That's all. Like, what's the problem? Go talk to us all you want. We don't trust you anyway. But you can feel free to blather on and on. You've got every media channel. You've got the radio. You've got social media. You have the you know the bully pulpit, and you're still you're worried about a, a little injunction um, out of out of a Louisiana court. Why? Yeah, yep. And and that's the that's the other thing too. Is it like. And they're saying, well, obviously that social media and posts have so distrust in government. And I would just go to, as I had an example, let me just pull up uh, Joe Biden's official account and let's read some of those tweets. What do you say? And you tell me why there's distrust in the government. So let's go to President Biden's official. Oh, wait, POTUS he just account. dropped part two, dude. Oh, no way. Yeah. Uh, my friend uh, Adam down there just texted me. He dropped part two just now. Let's take a look. So, yeah, real quick, I just as an example, uh, POTUS an hour ago tweeted out of his official account, countries around the world recognize what's happening in America. A man manufacturing is back and they're ready to bet on us and American workers. You're full of shit. You guys have shipped jobs up. Anyway, no wonder we don't trust you. All right. I got to go find that real quick. Let me uh, open up a third Twitter. I'm going to throw it in the nest for folks, too. Word. I'll give it to you in your DM. Oh, perfect. Thank you. There you go. And I'm going to I'm going to mute myself just while you go through this and read it. Okay, perfect. Unbelievable. I can't believe it's two days in a row. Pretty good. I thought he was going to wait till next week. All right, let's see what... Oh, my God, he does. Let's see what we got here. Facebook bowed to the Biden White House. Give me one second. I'm sorry, I'm getting text messages. You guys want to take a look at that while I'm doing this? I have to. I have to answer this. Um, give me one second. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Okay, it says in the summer of 2021, the White House was mounting a nationwide push for Americans to get vaccinated for COVID. Part of that push inclu included a public and secret campaign to get Facebook to more aggressively police vaccine-related content, including true information. This wasn't the Biden admin's first pressure campaign. In July of 2021, Facebook's head of global affairs asked why Facebook had been censoring the COVID lab leak theory. The answer was clear, because we're under pressure from the administration. We shouldn't have done it. And the email says, because we were under pressure from the administration and others to do more. And it was part of the, quote, more package. We removed four claims that multiple fact checkers had labeled false, even though we didn't have a harm assessment. We shouldn't have done it. We stopped removing the man-made claim in May, and now we're moving on the other three claims, like COVID is new and patented from remove to reduce and inform. This email was sent Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. 
Then it says the Biden administration officials claim that many Americans were hesitant to get back vaccines because of content, including true information that they saw on Facebook. Quote, they're killing people, President Biden said in July. Facebook employees initially bristled at President Biden's accusation. Thanks for sharing, they said. There are so many untested assumptions in what the administration is saying recently. Social media misinformation is increasing. It's leading to death. It has an impact different from misinformation in other places. Not to mention how, quote, their definition of misinfo is completely unclear. As fair as it is to say we need to do better about reporting numbers that mean something, it also just seems like when the vaccination campaign isn't going as hoped, it's convenient for them to blame us. But the tongue lashing directly caused Facebook to reevaluate its policies about, oh wait, hold on, there's another one. I agree, this seems like a political battle that's not fully grounded in facts and it's frustrating. That said, there's good momentum internally right now to get even deeper on the data so we can push back more directly. So hopefully we have a little bit more to say on this soon. Meaning Facebook wanted to push back on the White House with what it was saying was misinformation. Unbelie- this is unbelievable. This is crazy. You start now. I'm on tweet. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I've been, I've been here. So you said, right, then. The, and Jim says, but the tongue lashing directly caused Facebook to reevaluate its policies about COVID-19 content. Discussions that involved high-level company officials, including Nick Clegg and then Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg. But what did the White House want removed? Humorous posts about the vaccine. Seriously, jokes were too much. Yeah, the left can't meme. So this is interesting. So this is the other vaccine hesitant content. The delta on this is the White House generally objects to content that appears in media criticism of our COVID misinfo efforts. While we don't have specifics, we can extrapolate that they would like us to remove content that provides any negative information on or opinions about the vaccine without concluding that the benefits of the vaccine outweigh that information or opinion. They hi- highlighted humorous or satirical content that suggests the vaccine isn't safe, i.e. the you may be entitled to compensation meme. You guys remember from, the, from yesterday. Well, I mean, we did it today, but uh, B, mitigation, similar to true information, we recommended adhering to expert advice that we allow open discussion of vaccine safety and efficacy and do not recommend removing this content. We could consider increasing the demotion strengths on content being demoted that is still breaking through into top posts. This is just insane. But this is what's interesting. Similar to true information, we recommend adhering to expert advice that we allow open discussion of vaccine safety and efficacy and do not recommend removing this content. So Facebook's pushing back on this. And again, I know Jim Jordan, one of his big donors is, you know, social media. I've talked about this before. I've had concerns about this where they were really going after the FBI and they should have been talking about social media companies. But this is interesting to note. So the Biden administration also wanted Facebook to remove true information as well. This is where this is the stuff that really pissed me off. So the Surgeon General, which is Vivek Murthy, wants us to remove true information about side effects. If the user does not provide complete information about whether the side effects is rare and treatable, we do not recommend pursuing this practice. So Facebook is saying that Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General, wants the true information removed because the users are not being crystal clear and disclosing about whether it's rare or treatable or being, I mean, give me a damn break. But it seems like they do not recommend doing that. However, mitigation not recommended. We currently label all this content and demote some of it. We could remove the content or increase the demotion strength. So again, they're not recommending it, but that is something that they can do. 
So here's the background on that. The Surgeon General's report on misinformation defines misinformation as including, quote, an anecdote about someone experiencing a rare side effect after a routine surgery. The specific anecdote may be true, but hide the fact that the side effect is very rare and treatable. Who, and, and again, who is making this determination, by the way? And, and, and what, who the hell, this is, oh my God. I just, I don't even, I don't even have words. Track, this is insane. This, yes. It's almost this, like this weird diabolical, like fervor by like the highest levels of government that they didn't give a crap what the hell was wrong with these things. They just wanted to kill everybody. Like, doesn't it seem like that to you? That yes. they just want to kill everyone? And then and they, they want everyone stop? to shut up about it. Yeah. <laughs> but by misinforming people about the benefits and risks of the surgery, the anecdote can be highly misleading and harmful to public health. So let me just, let me just make sure I understand what the Surgeon General is asking. One more time, the Surgeon General's report on misinformation defines misinformation as including, quote, an anecdote. This is what they call misinformation, an anecdote about someone experiencing a rare side effect after a routine surgery. The specific anecdote may be true, but hide the fact that the side effect is very rare and treatable. By misinforming people about the benefits and risks of the surgery, the anecdote can be highly misleading and harmful to public health. So basically, I get a knee surgery and I get a secondary infection from the knee surgery and I tell the story on social media and I don't say it's really rare that that could happen. There's a very, very small chance it would. The benefits of the surgery far outweigh the risks of having it. Then I'm getting demoted because I didn't say that. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is this is how they want public communications but it, between people, between you and I or myself and Carolina or anybody in this in this in this panel how we should talk to each other on social media about something that happened. I can't just say that, yeah, dude, I got a damn, you know, infection post my knee surgery and it really sucks. I have to then be a, a medical expert and talking uh, and talking head for the benefits of the surgery and how the risks are far <laughs> outweighed by, are you kidding me? This is what the surgeon general <laughs> is telling Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's almost comical. It's like, it, it, Oh, goodness, I can't. Mm -hmm. Now, extrapolate that out through other things. This is dangerous. And experts have advised us that it's important to allow people to ask questions and allow open discussion of vaccine safety and efficacy to overcome vaccine hesitancy. Now, let me, let me, be, let me just be even more clear about why I'm laughing at this from a very dark aspect. Guys, we were not, okay, so there was mandates, right? I mean, I didn't take it, but there was mandates. You couldn't have a job. You couldn't travel. You couldn't do many things if you did not get the jab. But on top of that, people were going to get them because they were saying, it doesn't matter. Just go get it. You have to go get it. And if you don't, you're going to lose your livelihood. But we're also not going to, you're not allowed to talk about any kind of side effects that you may have had because that's going to sow distrust and that's getting in our way of our goal of getting you jabbed up. But not only that, this was not left to the doctor's discretion. Give you an example, uh, people that already had Guillain-Barre syndrome, they can't take this. And yet, I can, I, I can think of a, of a very notable case, Pete Parada, right? He was a drummer of offspring. He, he had to leave the band because he medically could not get it. But what's worse about this is that you, couldn't, you weren't discussing any kind of risks or side effects that may be occurring in people. You couldn't hear about it. It needed to be shut down. And then, by the way, 
you need to go get lined up at a spirit Halloween store that they retrofitted into a COVID jab center. And you got $12 workers that are not medical professionals that are issuing jabs into your arms. And no one is telling you, you're not having any kind of consultation with your medical professional. When and, did the liability lawsuits start for this stuff? When? That's my question. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I don't know that that so far they've been able to get around it because of the EUA and no, how the social media companies liability. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And, because if they would have let people talk and they would have let doctors who were knowledgeable voice their opinions and we would have had two sides, then everybody would have had all the information. And Facebook's like, well, we really don't want to censor all that information because we feel like people should be able to discuss this stuff. And in comes the government saying you will censor it or else. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And uh, again, I cringe every time I see this now. Experts, experts, the word experts, every time I see it now, I just cringe. Uh, experts have advised us that it's important to allow people to ask questions and allow open discussion of vaccine safe, safety and efficacy to overcome vaccine hesitancy. Um, and I would agree. Free market of ideas. You should be able to talk about it and make educated decisions as an adult for yourself. Anyway, for content that is presented in a sensational or shocking way or promotes vaccine refusal, we demote the content and apply a label with a link to accurate authoritative information. Again, they sort of, I'm, I'm uh, an expert in bullshit, and that, that's all bullshit. That's okay. all bullshit. And what was presented as authoritative information changed from week to week. And what we discovered was the authoritative information they were lying on was the government lying to the public. The Fauci's of the world lying to the public. The pharmaceutical companies lying to the public. And they're saying that, that they're applying labels to link to accurate authoritative information brought to you by Pfizer. We believe the information push partially combats the incomplete information while giving users space to express their views and share their personal experiences. But again, remember this applying a label to the link or applying a link to authoritative information. Once you were fact checked, you were then put into queue for demotion. So there, on one hand, they're saying here that, that yes, it, it's, we're going to apply a link to authoritative information. But then number two, once that happens, then you're being demoted to begin with anyway. So it's like we're linking it, we're demoting it, and we're relegating you to irrelevance. And then we're going to put the bullshit on the link. And the worst thing about it all for me, and I don't know if you normally have people come up and like ask questions and stuff during your spaces or not trash, but it might be worthy with this topic specifically. Um, the worst thing for me is that they did this in groups of people who were getting together to discuss the adverse events that they had experienced. The only community they had, doctors wouldn't listen to them. Their family wouldn't listen to them. They were mocked and ridiculed all over the place. And they found community. And Facebook, at the behest of the government, removed their community. Yep. Evil. And, and when we get to this next part, this is even worse. So as Nick Clegg prepared to meet Biden's Surgeon General, he emailed colleagues saying, quote, Cheryl is keen that we continue to explore some moves that we can make to show that we are trying to be responsive to the White House. Facebook even considered black holing certain domains. So right here, Cheryl, and that's Cheryl Sandberg, by the way, is keen that we continue to explore some moves that we can make show that we are trying to be responsive to the White House. Monica, I've explained to her that you think the black holing idea doesn't work after all. So again, they're pushing back, but the White House is... And, and the Surgeon General is continuing on. Nick Clegg continued, quote, my sense is that our current course, in effect, explaining ourselves more fully, but not shifting on where we draw the lines, is a recipe for protracted and increased acrimony with the White House. So they're saying, 
if we continue to push back, we're going to get, receive even more blowback from the White House. A hundred percent. Yep. And right here it says we should take stock after the Friday meeting. But my sense is that our current course, in effect, explaining ourselves more fully, but not shifting on where we draw the lines on the data we provide, quote, subject or in parentheses, subject to the agreement last night, we'd offered up VPP's content. Anyway, is a recipe for protracted and increasing acrimony with the White House as the vaccine rollout continues to stutter through fall and winter. Given the bigger fish we have to fry with the administration, data flows, et cetera, that doesn't seem a great place for us to be. So grateful for any further creative thinking. So <laughs> let me just read that one again. Given the bigger fish we have to fry with the administration, i.e. data flows, et cetera. So not just COVID, right? Not just this specifically, but they're saying we are already having to, to spend an enormous amount of time censoring, de-boosting, demonetizing, removing. And sending reports. And sending reports back to the White House and the administration i.e. Rob Flaherty, Andy Slabbit. Do we really want to get into the, into, the, into the weeds about doing what the Surgeon General is asking us to do here? This is crazy. God. And here we go. Uh, Facebook's leadership relented in August and agreed to change the company's content moderation policies because of the admin's continued pressure. So, goddamn. Context. Leadership asked Misinfo Policy Group and a couple of teams on product policy to brainstorm some additional policy levers. We were talking about this earlier. We can pull to be more aggressive against COVID and vaccine misinformation. This is stemming from the continued criticism of our approach from the United States administration and a desire to kick the tires further, further internally on creative options. We know there's also a parallel effort to brainstorm product and BTG levers. That's break the glass levers that we can pull. So, oh, I mean, I'll, I, I could actually break that down. So if you guys remember during uh, it was one of the Twitter files drops and they were talking about uh, the Stanford Internet Observatory and Kate Starbird out of Washington in, in Washington State and how they were able to model and algorithmically determine when a post would achieve virality, right? So they were able to say, okay, this, this small account with a few hundred followers gets picked up by an account with a few thousand followers. That post then makes its way to a more you know higher profile, like say independent journalist. And once they share it, it gets then it gets picked up by like say post millennial. I think they brought up the gateway pundit. I think they brought up. And once that happens, then the virality is completely out of control. We could no longer suppress that information. So they figured out a way to model algorithmically how to stop it, i.e. BTG, break the glass on that post and throttle it before it went any further and get picked up where it was too, too much out of control and they could not suppress it. So they were able to accurately determine a trajectory of something once it was shared a couple of times. It's, and this is what they're talking about, the, the break the glass levers that they can pull. That's what they're talking about here. This is just nuts. Good Lord. And by the way, those, uh, those, those, those programs are funded by our government through NGOs and through universities. We tax And they're we included in the injunction, by the way, too. I know. I'm super excited about that. And any future groups like that. Yep. So, and the wording in the injunction hearing was not just these specific groups that are named, but any one that may be formed after this fact. Yep. They are enjoined. So that was awesome, by the way. I think, and honestly, if I had to be honest with you, Tracy, I think that's what pissed them off about this the most. Oh, yeah. He handcuffed them completely. Mm -hmm. yep. because, that's, because that's how they were. So basically, if you guys don't know, uh, Alex Stamos, matter of fact, I'll pull up names thread because he's got it on video. Alex Stamos was talking about how 
um, how they were able to basically be a Band-Aid, a go-between between the government and the private citizens and how they could do things that were uh, extra constitutional, where the government could not do you know, legally protected speech. They could be the bridge. Uh, they could be the gap between what the government can do in censorship and what they can do. I'll pull it up because he actually he actually said it on camera. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, kudos goes to name for sitting through all of that crap. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> uh, let's go through it here. Oh, Shelby, Shelby, Shelby. Shelby <laughs> Pearson. Oh, Shelby. Uh, oh, there's Bill Avenina. Yeah, so Bill Avenina saying, you know, government official admits that Intel communities partnered with social media and worked together to taking stuff down. If you guys don't know who Bill Avenina is, Bill Avenina is out of the Office of Director of National Intelligence. So uh, he he's a longtime government hack. But he um, he admits on camera, like, I can't believe he found all this. They were just like openly admitting this on camera. Let me see if I can find. Uh, let me see if I can find uh, old Alex Stamos. Because he's and uh, Renee DeResta, CIA Renee, she was saying the same things, uh, how they basically were able to create these groups that would be the Band-Aid for the government to do extra constitutional uh, speech suppression. So let's see if I can find it. Because this is just crazy. But again, that's the whole point of this, right? I mean, this is now what we're seeing here with what Jim Jordan's got. This is just direct communication, right? This is direct communication between uh, the White House. Like, this is not even like government groups or like different sectors. This is the White House directly at social media companies and the Surgeon General. Just think about how many people died because of this. Uh-huh. Or may in the future as well. Yeah, I know. It's really terrible. Um, somebody has their hand up. One oh, it's, it's, it's Nick. Go ahead, Nick. Hi, guys. Wow, this is uh, extraordinary to uh, the most amazing levels. Um, Nick Clegg. Now, most of you will know Nick Clegg was actually our prime minister or joint prime minister at the time that we had a coalition government. I was actually a supporter of him at the time. And do you know why? Because he was the person that advocated freedom of speech, liberty, control over your own rights, your own ability to stand out and say what you wanted. He was the outspoken liberal who, in many cases, was known for being very pro-speech um, and very anti-censorship, um, as you'll probably know. So that was a very high position. Now, I've just seen a couple of tweets from Nick Clegg, which mysteriously, because of the timing, I'm talking yesterday afternoon, has linked to papers from Nature and other science journals, basically giving some information about how meta and censorship played a big role in the 2020 election in the United States. Whether he has put that out at the same time to try and distract, I don't know. But I firmly believe, I've just looked at some of his tweets that have gone out and some of the comments from him and people that know him, where he is very angry. He is saying that he was denied 
his ability to control Facebook in the way he wanted to. And he is effectively saying that he was caged and condemned by the restrictions of the Biden administration. Um, and I sense there is a big fight back going on here. And he is deliberately putting out information about the election being swayed because he has no other way of getting back on the Biden administration. Now that is so it interesting. Might be worth that is interesting. That's really good information. Good. Well, I'm going to plow through it, but I've just opened up the Nature document, which talks about how Meta influenced the election. And I think it'd be worth looking at that and also considering the timing of it as a rebellious timing and a timing that says, I do not agree with what the Biden administration has thrown on me and put at my feet. And I'm going to expose what went on about the 2020 election. Is that article that you're talking about there, does it talk about the, the money that Facebook funneled into local elections or does it talk about censorship activity on the platform? I literally opened it five minutes ago. I will keep you updated, but I have put a link to it. Um, and by all means, you know, put the link at the top. But all you need to do is go to Nick Clegg's profile and his top tweet just released a few hours back is effectively saying, look at this. This is more interesting. I would say it's very interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's a diversion or not, because I'm going to look at both. <laughs> I have the capacity to look at all of them. <laughs> so I'm going to go check that out. Also, uh, name, thank you for sending me the clip. Um, let me bring this back to what I was talking about. Then I want to go, go. I want to wait for Nick to kind of go through that Nick Clegg's stuff and I'll go through it as well. But so basically, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about here with Alex Stamos. So CISA, right? CISA is in the Department of Homeland Security. They were basically the switchboard for all centering through all these social media companies and legacy media, so on and so forth, they acted as a switchboard per request through different agencies. But they had to have a Band-Aid in order to justify taking down constitutionally protected speech. And that is where the Election Integrity uh, Partnership came in, EIP, which is now known as the Virality Project. Uh, yes, yes. And so basically, this is Alex Stamos talking about how the election integrity partnership, how they basically work, you know, with CISA and social media companies to be a Band-Aid. And this is him admitting it on camera. I'm going to play it. Give me one second. Let me check my volume real quick. Okay, we're good. We're good. Here we go. There was a lack of capability around election disinformation. Um, this is not because CISA didn't care about disinformation, but at the time they lacked uh, both kind of the funding and the legal authorizations um, to go do the kinds of work that would be necessary to truly understand how election disinformation was operating. So because of the feedback uh, and the ideas from these, uh, this group, um, we were able to pull together pretty quickly a project between these four different institutions to try to fill the gap of the things that the government cannot do themselves. Uh, there are kind of four major stakeholders that we operated with uh, that we worked beside at EIP. Uh, our partners in government, most particularly those in CISA DHS, but also in all the local and state governments with whom we operated with, with the election integrity uh, infrastructure ISAC. Um, we worked with civil society groups, such as the, uh, NA, uh, NAACP, uh, MITRE, Common Cause, 
uh, and the, the Healthy Elections Project that worked at both MIT and Stanford. Uh, and then we also worked with the major platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Reddit, Nextdoor, and the like. Um, in some of those cases, we had agreements for access to data. In other cases, we had to have individual analysts go work with them. Just to be clear, so the four major stakeholders groups in this entire apparatus were Elections Infrastructure, ISAC, CISA, right, which is out of the DHS, and the GEC, which is the Global Engagement Center, as you guys saw in the Twitter files. What was the Global Engagement Center? Well, it was the hub of nine different governmental offices. They would all coordinate with each other in the, the Global Engagement Center. They would then take that information, the users post mis mal and, and disinformation that they were, were requesting through these nine different agencies, government funded, by the way, we're talking, mean, I'll pull up what GEC had, but the, there's, there's a graphic way to show all of it. And then they would work in conjunction with these civil society groups, Stanford, MIT, Healthy Elections Project, MITRE, Squint, all these other common cause. And then they would work directly with Facebook, Twitter, Google, uh, TikTok, Reddit, Nextdoor, Discord, Pinterest, and others. And basically, uh, there's, there's, they all worked in conjunction. And what the EIP was able to do, this is Alex Stamos talking on camera at the 360 Open Summit for the Atlantic Council, which don't even get me started on them. Uh, but how they were able to do this extra constitutionally, what the government couldn't do. And they were, they, they were funded themselves to a, to a ridiculous degree by all the people that had a general interest in suppressing information that they didn't want out there. And so they were completely funded working with universities out of, you know, the Stanford Internet Observatory, Kate Starbird out of Washington State, Stanford MIT Healthy Elections Project, and they created the EIP, the Election Integrity Partnership. And then now it's what's known as a virality project. He just told you on camera, that's what they existed to do. That was his words. These are, this is not taken out of context. He said it himself. They filled the gap. Was a, a Oops, sorry. Filled the gap with the things the government could not do themselves. And that's just that part. What we're talking about here with Facebook, this is direct communication from the White House and Surgeon General. Like, guys, and this is insane. Trash. Also, um, you know, on the, on the uh, Atlantic Council... And those other private, quote, NGOs, they're not like, you know, the ones that we're talking about right now. There is another lawsuit also in Judge Doty's courtroom that was brought by um, a few of the individual plaintiffs against those companies at well, as well. The answer to their complaint hasn't been filed yet, but their complaint has been filed. So they're not stopping at just the government. They're suing these guys, too. And they are enjoined, by the way. So they can't create future groups. They, even though that there's some that are named, they're not able to create future groups as well. They're enjoined in that. Hey, by the way, I just found Kate Starbird's EIP uh, advanced monitoring AI that I was talking about, preventing things from going viral. Do you guys want to listen to that as well? Sure. Okay, this is cool. I mean, it's not cool. It's scary, but it's right here. So this is Kate Starbird out of Washington for the EIP. Let's look at how um, this claim went viral. These are plots that we were using almost for every incident that we that we picked up from this collaborative group. Our team, every time we picked up an incident, we would plot it in this way so we could see how it went viral. And what these do, this is a cumulative graph um, that shows the cumulative spread of a particular kind of claim. And what it has is on the y-axis is how many times it, it's been shared, and on the x-axis is time. And what we do is we plot each tweet on this 
as a shape, depending on what kind of, like what tweet type this is, if it's a retweet or a quote tweet or whatever. And we size each tweet by the size of the audience of that account. And what this allows us to do is some, not always, sometimes things take off with the random account somehow, but often you'll see these high um, follower accounts change the, the, change the trajectory of a tweet, helping it go viral. So it allows us to see who is really influential in the spread of, um, in the spread of a, of a claim. And so, um, and then, so his original post was repeatedly retweeted, remixed and reframed as it spread through other, uh, influential social media accounts and right, and, uh, right-wing media outlets. Um, there we have like, uh, an account of uh, Tim Cast, I think really sort of changes the trajectory and he's a American citizen journalist, um, and a political commentator, uh, who actually gained influence through his coverage of Occupy Wall Street, but he's now aligned with right-wing populism in the United States. Another influential account in this incident belonged to the Gateway Pundit, a hyper-partisan media outlet that repeatedly spread false or misleading claims of voter fraud. In fact, they, I think they have something like 40 different incidents. Their domain is cited in our data of 40 different claims of, of voter fraud of different kinds. Um, and uh, eventually this false claim was amplified by the Twitter account of President Trump's son as well, which is a common kind of piece of the trajectory. Often it would eventually reach some of his closest allies and, and, and family members and, and be promoted from there. So online participants repeatedly activated to produce and spread information that sowed doubt in the election, highlighting irregularities um, and exa exaggerating the, the impact of small issues like stolen mail and spreading false, like absolute falsehood. Yeah, so she just laid it out. I mean, so basically on the graph she's got here. So Elijah Schaefer puts something out, picked up by Ian Miles Chong. Daily Mail picks it up. Tim Pool picks it up. Then Gateway Pundit picks it up. And then it, it just shoots up in virality. Donald Trump Jr. And there's the Elijah picked it up. It was all you know, about deniers. And that was Kate Starbird. You know, deniers. Uh, and that was is, Kate uh, Starbird. Um, she is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, she's told her Facebook followers to vote Democrat to hold Trump responsible for, quote, corruption and collusion and his racist anti-LGBT agenda. That's who was censoring your speech, ladies and gentlemen. And so that was that was how they were able to determine virality of a tweet and then suppress it before it got too big and uncontrollable. So this is this is why people with like small follower accounts were getting banned left and right. Because for some reason, they maybe they were followed by one of the people with a larger account that were retweeting their stuff, whatever it may be. So they were cutting it off before it even got to a point where they couldn't contain it anymore. See, and that's, what, that's everybody who begs people to follow them. It might not be the blessing you think it is. <laughs> it really, it may not. <laughs> I, yeah. So, and again, that, but that's just explained, but this is what's being done through these groups and NGOs. This is not what, what the, what we're talking about with Missouri v. Biden and what Jim Jordan's talking about, but I just wanted to illustrate all of that stuff because again, we've been talking about this stuff for months, but this is also directly from the white house itself what we've been talking about with Jim Jordan and the Missouri v. Biden case and through CISA and through these other government agencies. It's insane, Tracy. It really is. Um, it really is. Like, I, again, the human cost of this is what really is killing me, um, especially yeah. surrounding the vaccination. It, it's terrible. But like they went so far as to admit, again, that it's not just that they've they've amped it up since it's abortion. It's the Afghanistan war. As a matter of fact, in um, in the definition, of, I think it was the deposition of Brian Scully. 
he even says, like, we don't want people to be able to speak poorly about the banking system, because if we have people saying things that are concerning about what's going on in the financial sector, it could cause a bank run, which would then affect national security. So there's really no limit that these people won't go to to stop you from being able to not only share your opinion, but also speak like, for example, we've talked about this. They wanted to be in in virtually in your living room. The government was like demanding that Facebook break its encryption on WhatsApp to be able to censor posts inside of what inside of WhatsApp, where like maybe you're texting with your husband or something. It's akin to somebody being in your living room. And every time you say a no, no word, like smacking you on the hand with something. Right. And it's and it's not only it's and it's not only just that it's the government has inserted themselves into what opinion you're allowed to hold and what you're not. It's completely Orwellian. I mean, we're seeing it right here. They're saying it. They're saying, yeah, no. So what what the government is asking them to do. This one right here. This is the one that really sticks out to me. The Surgeon General wants us to remove true information about side effects if the user does not provide complete information of whether the side effect is rare and treatable. So we all have to be experts when we make a post like, hey, uh, I've got a side effect from this. But just so you know, it's rare, treatable. And, you know, for the greater good of, of the country, I just wanted everyone to know that I'll be OK. Yeah, I, I have um, I've had a stroke and Bell's palsy and shingles three times, but it's all rare. So don't worry, guys. It's fine. Like, what the hell, man? Like, where does this all come? How do you live with these people are evil. They're demons. They're placed here specifically to torture us. I don't know how they got the levers of power, but we've got to take them back. This 100%. is obscene. I'm a little bit fired up. I'm sorry. I'm way fired up. I'm just trying to, like, you know, be a little bit more stoic about it. But I, I have to sometimes when you hear me, I've, I've said this multiple times in spaces when I'm going over something as dark as this, I laugh because I, I it's all I can. That's the only way I can get like get rid of it. You can't wrap your head around it, honestly. You really can't. <laughs> yeah, it's just insane. Nick, did you have an update? Look, Sixteen papers have been released by Nick Clegg today. These papers effectively tell the government that they had no right since pre twenty twenty election to start their strategic hold of information via meta platforms. And it proves that the impact it had on the public, particularly the American voting public, backfired and was negative. Let me just read you a quick thing here. The studies also shed new light on the claim that the way content is surfaced on social media and by Meta's algorithms specifically keeps people divided. One of the papers shows there is a considerable ideological segregation in consumption of political news, reflecting a complex interaction between algorithmic and social factors. Yet, when participants in the experiments saw a reduced amount of content from sources that reinforced their views, they were actually more likely to engage with the like-minded content they did see. And even then, it had no detectable impact on polarization, political attitudes or beliefs. This is hard-hitting stuff. And this is paper one, and I'm not even through it yet. There are 16 papers. This is big. Yeah, I feel like he's saying I'm done. That's what it seems like to me based on what you said. 
really pissed off. You're bang on it. You're bang on it. If you know Nick Clegg, he's normally a placid, friendly guy, but he's very educated. He is very, very well thought of. And he is very much the free speech person who basically he's only joined in like 2018 uh, he was effectively our prime minister, uh, you know, jointly. But he is really being put in a position where he is the scapegoat. And I think releasing these 16 papers that are published today in Nature and other scientific journals is a real kickback. This is big. That, that I have never uh, looked into him further than the basics. So um, I'm I'm actually kind of like, happy to hear what you're saying. It's about time for people with any conscience whatsoever to start doing something about this because it's truly evil. It's the antithesis of everything that we stand for here. It, it's, it's gross and disgusting. It's, it's basically when they take this where, where, you know, an uninformed populace can't make informed decisions. Um, a, a, a populace that does not have good valid information and, and healthy debate cannot be a healthy society. And they're, they also, like, like what you just referenced, further polarize us using this method as well. Um, I, I, I mean, this is why the vaccine issue, particularly, I keep bringing it up, is a huge one for me. I, 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 it, it's just touched too many people I know, um, too many people in my family, and some of whom are not here anymore. And I... It just it's gross to me. It's disgusting and evil. And so I'm glad that he's doing that because he needs to find his courage. Yeah, and he's giving the raw data out, the data that the Biden administration asked Meta to do various studies, to do various research. And he is not only putting out the results, he's saying that all findings have been submitted to academic journals in open access formats so that they can be made freely available to the public. The public must see this for themselves. And I, I bet you anything that the, the United States media engine is spinning up the um, is spinning up right now to discount some of what is said in those studies because they can't have that out in the public. So I'd be surprised to see what happens with that or interested, I should say. Well, there's a whole paper on how it's influenced. The Biden administration through Meta has tried to influence the war in Ukraine and the protests in Iran. That's okay. That's serious. Yeah, no, this is very serious. And, and again, um, I'm looking through this as well. I'm going to keep going through it also. Um, but this, so Nick, yeah, this, this should be interesting. I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay closer attention to him as we go. But as I look through this, there's going to be more in here. But the other thing I was going to mention, I, I kind of blanked out because I was reading something. What I was going to say was right now there's a stay on the injunction, which means the government can continue doing what is being alleged in the Missouri v. Biden case. And so that hasn't stopped. And so to your point of, I bet they're spinning this up now. Yeah, they didn't stop. Because technically, the stay has been enjoined. Now, yeah. it's depending upon what social media companies are going to do moving forward. But I can tell you, I'm still seeing people getting banned and suppressed, even on Twitter. Um, obviously, you know, Meta and Threads and Instagram. My God, that's been just a complete, complete shit show of censorship lately. But yeah, they're not. They haven't stopped. And so this this should 
No, I think you're right. In fact, I think they're getting harsher since I'm not kidding, but since X took over Little Blue Bird, the amount of people I know who have had a distinct change in level of censorship. And we all know, you know, somebody that would normally be on this stage who's not here because their account was, you know, suspended yesterday. Um, it's quite strange. It's a term. Mm -hmm. So I, what I think is happening here is that that I don't know how 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 complicit the social media companies are versus saying if there's still like API or access on these other platforms through like CISA and all these other groups while the uh, the st the injunction has been stayed until they get the the filings which is due today uh, and they they hash that out with the Fifth Circuit that they're probably going pretty hard until they can't anymore tells me that they don't I don't know that they see them, them winning the case here and and what Trace and I started the space off with was. Jim Jordan's thread over the last two days with, with Meta or Facebook, proving the the argument that the government is making in the Missouri v. Biden case null and void. I that's why I called this space Endgame. I've said it three times, but that's why this space is called Endgame, because those documents clearly show and go against what the government is arguing here. So, pretty fascinating stuff, and it's it's dark, right? I'm excited. It's very dark. The former British Prime Minister is going for the Biden administration and is seriously pissed off. That's that's just nuts. So, not only that, what, what did we see uh, with the Hunter Biden case? Right? What, what did we see? Well, we saw that basically that deal that the DOJ, in conjunction with Hunter Biden's attorneys, made this sweetheart deal and they were slipping in future immunity into this gun diversion uh, deal that they made. And the judge said, uh-uh, not having it, stopped it, blew up the deal. Only because of the, the friend of the court briefs that were filed. Yep. I don't know if you saw this, Trash, if, if, if you want to talk about that for a second. I retweeted a thread yesterday that was sent to me. Um, Empower Oversight, who's representing a very large chunk of all the whistleblowers coming forward right now. I'm going to put it in the nest. You might want to read through this of what they're that um, what they did in that um, what they did by calling the judge the way they did was a direct threat to the whistleblowers. It was a veiled direct threat to the whistleblowers. And this thread explains it. It's, it's at the top. OK, let me go grab that. I don't mind talking about it. The reason I was bringing up the, the Hunter Biden thing to begin with and was because you've got Nick Clegg, you've got all this stuff coming out against the Biden admin. They're not able to stop all of this info coming out. Hunter Biden's deal that was supposed to stop any kind of further inquiry into the corrupt dealings that the Bidens have done over the course of his entire career, all that was stopped. And so by, by blowing up that deal. And so that's the reason I brought it up. And you've got Nick Clegg now coming after Biden. Like this is, this is a systemic systematic destruction of this white house. And everyone is, is now realizing, okay, I can come out with this now. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I think this is just the beginning. Well, I mean, I know, I know it's just the beginning, but this is just nuts. But think about how much of this stuff has been, has been held back, suppressed, not allowed to be talked about banned. And now it's all coming out. Like, imagine how, like, imagine how shocking this is really going to be for people. If they can understand it. I, that's why I try to do these. That's why I try to do these spaces as much as possible. I leave them recorded 
and leave them in my highlights tab so people can go back and they can listen to it themselves. I think we do a really good job of breaking things down. So You do, 100%. So this is the, uh, the Tristan Levitt thread. Uh, last summer, Hunter Biden's attorney, Chris Clark, told Delaware prosecutors that they charged Hunter Biden with the 2014-15 years involving Burisma, so on and so forth, that we now know, yeah, oh yeah, uh, where Hunter and Joe were bribed, they would be committing career suicide. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. So, yeah. Assistant U.S. Attorney uh, Wolf told us that the United States Attorney uh, David, David Weiss indicated that the end of September would be his goal to charge 2014-2015 years because they did not want to get any closer to midterm election. Jesus. Quote, the X factor on timing will include any delay defense counsel has requested. Two weeks later, I learned how defense counsel felt about the case when prosecutors told us on a pro's team call that Chris Clark, Hunter Biden's counsel from Latham Watkins, told them that if they charge Hunter Biden, they would be committing career suicide. Oh my God. The threat so, will come now in a second. What's that? The threat is going to be explained in just a second in that thread. Yeah. So the attack dogs are circling IRS, Gary Shapley, yes, on the whistleblowers who did the right thing, the right way for the right reasons. Yep, support them. Please do defend whistleblowers.com. Now, on the eve of the plea hearing, Hunter Biden's legal team called the clerk of the court to convey completely bogus allegations that the IRS whistleblower documents in Jason Smith's amicus brief contained, quote, grand jury secret information, which if truly leaked, could be prosecuted. This is insane. So right here, this is from Chris Clark, says, most troubling is that you have sought to append a filing on the public docket, hundreds of pages of documents, many of which contain grand jury secret information and confidential taxpayer information. We have alerted you to this issue and you have refused to file these materials under seal, frivolously claiming that the because a congressional committee has improperly disseminated these materials, they no longer need protection. Well, that's actually true. Uh, your position is baseless and abusive. We, appreci- we apprise the clerk of our concern that your filing violated uh, applicable rules as the enclosed contains sensitive information about our client, quote, shall not be included in any document filed with the court. So, yeah, th- th- this is them threatening them with, you know, future prosecutions so on and so forth. What they did was something um, that violated applicable rules, but it doesn't. These are this is public record. Christopher Clark something, man. Yeah, it's um, they're literally going to they're going to charge these whistleblowers. I guarantee it. Uh huh. Yeah. This was without question a shot across the bow of our client SSA. You know, this is Gary Shapley, who's an IRS whistleblower and then Joe Ziegler both of whom were extremely careful not to release any information protected by Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 6E, grand jury information. And after yesterday's stunning developments, Hunter's lawyers are redoubling their efforts to take down these courageous IRS whistleblowers. Last night, they filed a 10-page motion that specifically identified the IRS whistleblower's testimony and documents as prohibited by law, which it's not. Well, I, but see, here's the thing, though. I, how, yeah, they're going to try to go after them, but I mean, I don't know how they can at this point. Like, I don't think they have the political strength to do it anymore. I hope you're right, but they don't seem to really care what they have the political strength That's for. That's true. That's true. Otherwise, they would never have slapped a superseding indictment on Trump yesterday. That's true. That's true. And again, the whole reason I brought this up to begin with was because of the failing power within the White House. And it seems like the floodgates are opening and now you got Nick Clegg coming after the White House. We've got Jim Jordan releasing all these receipts from that they finally got when they got cooperation from Facebook with this with these uh, internal communications showing how 
our Surgeon General, which we've known. I mean, I've known the Surgeon General's been corrupt for years, but people are, I mean, and I see a lot of people telling me this. Of course, we know this. We've known this for a while. Yes, I know that. But we actually have the receipts in public record right now. And that's the that's the only reason I keep covering it. And that's what you guys need to understand about what I'm doing. When I do these things, it's like, okay, I'm only going to go through court dockets. I'm only going to go through, I'm only going to go through receipts that are official record. That's all I can do. Like, because it's very easy to find things that are not official, that may be manipulated in some way, and it will absolutely destroy any credibility of anything that I talk about in the future. So I'm just careful sometimes for that reason. I don't, I want to make sure that I'm speaking about things that I have a physical something of, you know what I mean? Um, and, welcome uh, to my world. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. You have even more risk than I do. I just don't want to lose my integrity. <laughs> You've got uncovered. That's DC really the only thing that drives me is losing my integrity at any point in time. So we're in the same boat. Yep. 100%. But guys, I just got kicked, by the way. I don't know why or what happened, um, but suddenly everything, the room disappeared. Um I'm sure there's nothing suspicious at all. Matt Ridley is kicking out some big stuff. I don't know if you're keeping an eye on it, but um, he is tweeting about Nick Clegg's stuff. Um, he basically uh, put one out. One was six hours ago. Can someone quickly remind me why we were removing rather than demoting or labeling claims that COVID is man-made, asked Nick Clegg. We were under pressure from the administration and others to do more, responded a Facebook vice president. We shouldn't have done it. Jimmy Tobias, Facebook removed content related to the origin of COVID-19 in response to pressure from the Biden administration, including claims um, the virus was man-made, according to internal emails, which I'm sure are the ones we've seen. Uh, but then Matt Ridley goes on to talk about what's actually happened on a bigger scale. It looks beyond doubt now that Beijing's cover-up was aided by an outrageous attempt to suppress global debate led by the Western scientists we should have been able to trust to search for the truth. Um, some fascinating stuff. He's obviously, you know, I mean, he's not only just got his fingers on the pulse, but he's also looking at the bigger picture of this suppression by the Biden administration and the effect it's had on a more global scale. Gosh, if you want to put the Biden administration as the killer of over eight, nine million people globally, this is not going to go down well. I can see him not making the end of this administration, quite frankly, because there's a lot of people seriously pissed off. And that's kind of what I was bringing up the Hunter Biden stuff with as well. And, and then how exposed our DOJ is and see. So, Nick, this is an interesting conversation to be having as well, because whereas as an American, I can make these arguments. I can make constitutional arguments about protected free speech. I can't make those same arguments in other countries. And that's what makes all of this so much more pernicious for, for the entire world in that. We are all in the same boat in suppression, and yet we were supposed to be the beacon of free speech in this country with constitutionally uh, protected speech, which is why, I mean, they had to go to the lengths that they did in creating these NGOs and these university programs and so on and so forth to censor uh, and apply pressure. And the other part of that is, is that a lot of these companies are American companies. And so uh, is it, this is a really interesting intersection, but for the folks like in Europe and such, the, you guys had it way worse, and it was way easier for them to do so. Uh, versus what's happening here. This is just fascinating. But yeah, no, everyone's coming.
No, we were hanging on your coattails. We didn't dare do anything that would upset the U.S. You know, we were in a little shelter of being the little rat or mouse that was running around to wait and see what the big elephant did before it stepped on us, Mm -hmm. um, whilst we were all dying at the same time. So you're absolutely correct Mm -hmm. there. Um, We should change the title, by the way. This is bigger than Missouri v. Biden. This is much bigger, in my personal opinion. (laughs) Bloody good. I'm really enjoying it. Tracy's excellent. Go check out her original reporting on this stuff. She's one that's been covering the Missouri v. Biden case for over a year. I've been covering it for six months on the coattails of her coverage so, <laughs> well that's only because that's when they let me back on this godforsaken ex <laughs> it, Go to uh, I don't know the if first you, thing I, I did know. when I got back here trash was start that thread that was the first thing I did yeah actually I remember the day you came back we were having a uh, I was having a twitter file space I think it was like me and Tara I think Matt Taibbi was in there and it was you and Patrick uh, Henningsen, and we were going through looking at the people who were considered Russian bots, and you were vindicated that you were not, in fact, a Russian bot on that day, if you remember correctly. It w- yes, it was the release the memo. That was way after I got reinstated, but it was like one okay. of the first spaces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To release the memo, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Trash, you're the best. You guys are awesome. I, I don't know how you want to, I'm not, you know, uh, I can stick around if anyone has questions or anything. Otherwise I have to go make two phone calls. Go make your phone calls. I'm just kicking it. I'm going through the stuff. I think that we did, cause we've been going for two hours now. I, I think we did the bulk of what I wanted to accomplish today. I wanted people to be prepared, be up to speed. I wanted to do a part four with all the stuff that Jim Jordan came out with. Because as these briefs have been filed by the government, which are the defendants in this case, uh, we will see how the Fifth Circuit handles that moving forward. So I appreciate you being here with me, Tracy. Glad to be here. Oh, um, just so everyone knows, I can kind of talk about this a little bit now. I am doing an interview with um, Andrew Bailey, who is the the AG of Missouri, on Tuesday, which will air on Wednesday. But I'm also trying to set up a space with him. And if he does a space, I, I asked um, maybe if Trash could co-host it with me and perhaps we'll get name in there, too, so that he could share some of his info. But, like, we'll obviously give everyone um, heads up if we're going to be doing that. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. I'm glad you were able to talk about it now because uh, A.G. Bailey, like I said, he's one of the guys that, that has been all over this Missouri v. Biden case. So I really wanted to talk to him about it. So that's just super yeah, exciting. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a good one for sure. So. Yep. So that's another that's and that was another reason I wanted to do this space as well, which in Jordan's revelations, how what I believe that means for the Missouri v. Biden case and setting up a possible space with uh, uh, Bailey himself. So super yep. pumped for that. Keep an eye out for sure. Have a great weekend, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tracy. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, Tracy. Whoo. What a day, huh? What a day. What a day. I'm a, I'll, I'll bring up some people if they have any questions about what's going on. I'll probably start winding this space down here pretty soon to keep the recording uh, tight. Uh, If you guys had joined the space late, don't worry. It's recorded. And if you ever want to access any of my spaces or threads or content, all you need to do is go to my profile, go to the highlights tab, and it'll all be in there. That's where I keep everything. So you have to go hunting my my timeline because my timeline's off the chain. Sometimes I'm memeing. Sometimes I'm making fun of Linda Yaccarino. But if you want the serious stuff, just go to my highlights. It's all in there. Hey, Bacon. (laughs) 
I just want to say thank you, Trash, for letting me come up and speak, and uh, I really appreciate it. By all means, drop me down. No, there. it's no, no need, Nick. I'm glad you came up. No, pro- no problem. Bacon, go ahead. Hey, I just want to let you know, the last speaker, I loved her accent. And by the way, it's Tracy's birthday. Is it? How do I, yeah. how do I not even know that? I wish she would have let me speak before she got off. But yeah, it's her birthday. It. So happy birthday, Tracy. Well, happy birthday, Tracy. Let me message her. Uh, Dr. Mind, you came up. Did you have something you wanted to add? Dr. Mind? Hmm. I think you're having microphone trouble. Can you hear me now? All right. Just a lot, just a lot of the unexplained, uh, like it's, it's bigger than that in the sense that the people that you're connected to, like you, I've noticed that like I'm being told I can't, I can't share a message with you. Not necessarily. That's an example, but other people, I can't do it unless I'm a, a subscribed member. Um, I can't, um, share a message or, uh, send somebody a DM because of their role in society. Like they're like being, their message is being suppressed because they're not a a part of say government anymore. They've been forced out over the past, you know, five years. So it's it's obvious that they're trying to control um, our need to know and what we're sharing amongst each other. Uh, not only that, but just like I've been in spaces and trying to share something and all of a sudden my typing goes down to like turtle speed and I can't like I push a character and all of a sudden it's the wrong character that goes up on the screen. And so they're like making deliberate attempts to just make it very difficult for, for us to share. That's all. Uh, Yeah. And if you notice, it's hard for me to talk about the technical stuff that I don't know, but, um, but it's even if you just look at what uh, Jim Jordan had uh, finally gotten from Facebook and put out there, how they were going cross platform. So like if I, said something that they didn't like on Instagram, it automatically filtered into a process that would also make that same filtering on Facebook or WhatsApp, or they put a stop to any link sharing, even in DMs uh, between Twitter. Uh, If you guys remember the Hunter Biden story, the New York Post story, you couldn't even share that link through DMs on Twitter or Facebook or Facebook Messenger or whatever. It would automatically kill it. And so, (laughs) you know... That's what this is exposing, but it's also showing in no uncertain terms that this is not just the NGOs, the ideologues that work at like the Election Integrity Project or, or Partnership, or they work at like the Stanford Internet Observatory or whatever, these, these university NGO government censorship machines. This is direct communication with the White House and the President of the United States, the, the Director of Digital Communications in the name of Rob Flaherty, Andy Slavitt, talking to these and, and levying their their weight and position the surgeon general directly with these uh, social media companies to take down but it's not only just speech that they call mis or disinformation it's also the stuff that's true 
uh, that would cause an adverse opinion of another member of public to question things, the official government expert uh, narrative. This is beyond Orwellian. And that's what's so important that we talk about this. And again, if you guys don't know, like I said, if you guys look at the title, Missouri v. Biden, Part 4, Endgame, the Facebook files, I firmly believe that what Jim Jordan has shown here completely destroys and tanks the government's brief that they filed on the temporary injunction stay that's in the Fifth Circuit Appellate Court right now. And so this basically kills uh, the government's position and argument. And they're still saying, no, I still want to, we still, we still should be able to censor Americans. We should, we still be, should be able to censor speech for the good of the country. Um, and that's why this injunction should be lifted so that we're no longer enjoined from doing so. I believe that, I believe that what Jim Jordan has released kills this. And that's why I call it the end game. And Nick, to your point, it is bigger than that, but I can only speak to what's, what I know, what I have my hands on here in the U.S., and then what's in public record and it's official because it, it's and it's it's enough. It's enough to be able to, for any other country to see this and go backwards into their own country and say, wait a minute, what the hell is going on here? So I hope that that's that's what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. I was just looking at, uh, I think, tweets here with his hand up now, but I just looked at his question, which is quite an interesting one for you. I'm not going to answer it. Uh, t- tweet do you want to ask <laughs> yeah thanks trash uh, thanks money penny yeah i've just sort of caught the last hour so i'll, I'll go back and trash and listen to the highlights that you, you said there but my question was as money penny said those um how do you think twitter or x will sort of quell people's concerns in regards to censorship be- certainly before the primaries roll around let alone the uh, the the election because i, I think everybody's seen and money penny mentioned it earlier that people are still being suspended for no reason so I think that how do you think Twitter is going to approach this? Because certainly before the primaries roll around, because that's a concern of mine. Thanks. Yeah, well, and that's again, that's uh, another reason that this Missouri v. Biden case is very, very important is because this a lot of the a lot of the language that's within this case, the injunction, especially within the injunction that was issued by Terry Doty, who's a judge in the case. Um, if. Because the okay, so the filing of okay, so the filing of the appeal by the government in the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals is saying that they should be able to censor you know speech for the greater good of the country. However, they put it. I read some of that earlier in the space. Go back and listen to it. It's pretty crazy what their argument is, but they have a deadline of that. So the, what that means is is that once once this goes through, and if the Fifth Circuit does not uphold the appeal on the stay on the injunction. And the injunction goes through, as Terry Doty in the lower court had suggested before they even get into the full case and trial where they determine, you know, if the if the plaintiff is correct and the opinion of the court is that the plaintiff is accurate and the defendants, i.e. the government, are guilty. Um, the injunction stays. And once that happens, the government is completely enjoined from doing any kind of censorship requests, any kind of communication at all. And should they even remotely do that, which it appears Facebook's actually releasing this stuff saying, we don't want to do this. The government made us. If that injunction is held, then we don't, I don't really need assurances from Elon Musk so much or, or these other platforms because by law they are legally enjoined. And should we come across scenarios i.e. people getting randomly suspended, so on and so forth, while the injunction is in place and there's not a stay on it, that opens up liability for the social media companies, and they don't want that. So I don't really need them to tell me lip service as long as the injunction is upheld. We just keep an eye out for it. 
And the government can no longer do that because then they're seriously liable. So that's, I don't need them to lie to me. I just need to see that the injunction is upheld. So that's where we're at right now. Uh, go ahead, Nick. Trash. We have just had a statement come out from Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, well, within the last half hour, I think, uh, saying that the Biden administration has rejected his request for Secret Service protection in the 2024 race, and they have invoked his father's uh, is the assassination attempt as part of this. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said Friday's request for Secret Service protection was rejected by the Biden administration. He's put out a lengthy statement on Twitter. The Democratic White House hopeful invoked the assassination of his father. And since the assassination of my father in 68, candidates for president are provided Secret Service protection, but not me, Kennedy wrote. Um, he's furious about it. Uh, he's talking about it a lot. Um, and there's quite a long statement that's just come up. Yeah, matter of fact, uh, Mayorkas, he even brings up Mayorkas. So he says, typical turnaround time for pro forma protection requests from presidential candidates is 14 days. After 88 days of no response and after several follow-ups by our campaign, the Biden administration just denied our request. Secretary Mayorkas, quote, I have determined that Secret Service protection for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is not warranted at this time, end quote. Our campaign's request included a 67-page report from the world's leading protection firm detailing unique and well-established security and safety risks aside from commonplace death threats. <laughs> Laverne Spicer's funny. She says, there's many hoods out there who will send their boys to protect you. Say the word. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> I bet there are, but they're queuing up. Big guys. So yeah. <laughs> that's funny. But uh, no, that's, that's, it's fascinating. This administration is absolutely out of control. Uh, and I, I fear moving into primaries and elections, what this administration is, because we've seen what they're capable of. I mean, between the Hunter Biden case, which I, I have spaces, if you guys want to know about what's going on with Hunter Biden, I, I did a deep thread. I've had entire spaces on this. I've had countless spaces on the dealings in Ukraine and Burisma. I have all those receipts. Everything is there. All those threads are there. If you want to get up to date with Biden Inc. and basically the long litany and list of, of, of corruption, there's a in my highlights tab, there's a thread that starts with Dan Bongino video clip. It's called Biden Inc. and the documents. Everything. And I mean, everything related it's right. is, is there. So. Oh, Kim.com. Sorry, trash. A hilarious tweet. Kim.com. According to Joe Biden, he has cured cancer, saved the economy, won the war against Putin. Hunter is the smartest guy he knows, didn't do anything wrong, didn't make millions by pimping his dad to foreign oligarchs and did not bring cocaine to the White House. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, guys. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you bringing that up, up in the space, Nick. Uh, this is about two and a half hours long. I probably will go ahead and close this down to, for the for the integrity of the recording. Might open up another space later on. If you guys open one, I might join you. But everything you need to know that I go over, anything that I cover is in my highlights tab. And I really appreciate everybody that came up. Um, just keep an eye on this. Uh, if you guys want to stay up to date, follow Tracy Beans. She's been doing the most reporting on Missouri v. Biden. Um, and you can throw me in there as well. But that's only after... I've had access to stuff. So she's been there from day one. Go check her out. Go check my highlights tab. It'll all be in there. All the recordings are in there. All the threads are in there. Everything you need. Down in the chat, up in the nest. Everything's good. Any final thoughts before we close it down, guys? Keep doing what you're doing. It's great. I love it. Thank you. Anybody else? Final thoughts before I close it? 
All right, word up, Yomis. And get your claws snipped. I don't like these raccoons crawling around with big claws. It's not nice. <laughs> oh, they cut deep, don't they? All right, my friends. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Thanks again. Right.